How's it going? It's going well. It's think, going well. I, I think we need to move the mic closer to, to Evan. He's like sitting all the way the, in the corner. Well, I mean, now I'm closer to the mic than you. I can lean forward a little bit. I feel like I was told back in the day that I was a little too voluminous. Definitely not. Definitely not. So what are, what are we doing? Uh, well, I want to know because I learned something from the last uh, episode, the only episode I've heard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is this omnidirectional? I turned it to the omnidirectional. Oh, okay. Good. So if you look, you can see... Oh, there's directions. Yeah, there's directions, but omnidirectional, yeah, bidirectional, and the, yeah. and that's it's, it's very difficult to tell. It, it is. Well, in one, they overlap. Yes, I, that is true. I, I would say it is difficult <laughs> to tell. But I just turn it from one to the other. So, like, in this mode, I know that we want to be in the omni, so I turn it all the way. And then when I want the bidirectional, I'll turn it back. I, I enjoy, though, when we have more than just you and me talking. It does make it better. <laughs> Significantly. <laughs> I sort of listened to last week, so, oh my god, was that terrible. <laughs> I, dude, you say it's terrible. I don't think it was terrible. Uh, it's going to be an interesting read. Or the thing is, like, I, you have no valid reasoning for why it's bad. You're just like, we didn't talk about t- climbing the whole time. Like, that's okay. I don't think we talked about climbing at all. We did. A little bit. I know oh, we there did. Wasn't much, there wasn't much... T- climbing talk. It was mostly. So, like, can we address right away the, uh, the inconsistency? As I listened to not the last episode recorded, but the last episode actually posted. I downgraded. You downgrade in in between episodes. You downgraded the push. It was a highly recommend three times in the most recent episode, and by the by this last week, you were like, nope, not a highly recommend. It's just a recommend. I'm so, trying to be more persnickety about what I highly recommend. But not in the moment. <laughs> no, in the moment, the, the, you know... The, in the moment, the emotion overcomes you. I am... I'm a bit emotional. Yeah, in the moment, I'm emotional. Um, <laughs> like, let's... let's <laughs> like, this is a highly recommend with the potential for downgrade once I calm down. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's do the intro. Welcome to the South Beta Podcast, episode number 11. We are almost officially up to 30 listeners. I'm really excited. Uh, welcome to One Man's Journey to Untangle the Knot. It is the climbing community with the help of his co-hosts who occasionally know the answer to his climbing-related questions. God damn, dude. I feel like I've been downgraded. You're one of two co-hosts today. Oh, no, sorry. We have two, We have a, sorry, my co-host and then my guest. I know, you like, he, he's, has, he's said like seven words so far and you upgraded him to co-host already. I, I actually missed that part. <laughs> I was staring at my copy of the push, the push. trying to figure out. If I could make an argument for it being highly recommendable. What, what's your feeling on you? Have you you finished reading it? You've read the whole thing. I have read the whole thing. Several weeks ago, I finished. But when you talk this way, you're not talking to the mic. And I thought it was omnidirectional. It is omnidirectional, <laughs> but only if you're talking to it. Oh, if you okay. talk at the wall, all right. Well, I was, putting, I was putting my beer down, so excuse me. You can pick I'll up put your my beer. beer without looking at it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Right. Speaking of, and Evan is the is the one who does this all the time. He always he takes the hand and he goes like this over the face, and he can't hear what he's saying. But I mean, I can because oh. I'm in the room. But the mic covers it up. Can I see the, my can voice? We, can you uh, to know? So, okay, I see. So I'm pretty quiet then. The rest of you guys are pretty loud. You can you can I'll raise move, your volume. No, we gotta get you all riled there up. There we go. Yeah, get me riled up. Um, and by the way, yes, sir. The knee slapping is far worse than anything I do. 
the knee slapping is pretty freaking horrible. I, I I give you that. And every time I listen to an episode and I hear the knee slap, I'm like, oh my god, Zach, what are you thinking? That was a terrible knee slap. And it always like cuts the emotion too. Like there's a great piece of dialogue going on. There's a great thing, and then it's just ended with a knee slap. The one time that I will say there was one point where I'm like a knee slap was required. That one point a knee slap was okay. <laughs> the one where you called it out. I was like, I was like, that deserves a knee slap, and knee slapped it. So why don't you introduce our guest? Uh, this okay. So short version is we have a guest who I call Dave. Uh, I was really I should have. I really should have invested some time before this to, like, tell you to not <laughs> go into that story. It's, like, <laughs> the dumbest story I can think of. No one will no one will understand it, let alone find it funny. I find it funny. So, because Dave finds it funny, I'm going to share it. Oh, sorry, God. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I find it funny for the same reason. That I'm exactly. sorry, all 30 <laughs> listeners. I apologize for what is coming next. So... Uh, when I first, not when I first started climbing, but like when I started committing to climbing this, like two go rounds ago, um, I was hanging out in the gym, and for some reason I got, uh, got it in my mind that this person working at the gym's name was Patrick, and I kept on calling them Patrick, and uh, I felt like he kind of responded to me, but not really, um, and I was like, what? and so I paid attention and I realized that his name was actually Justin, and uh, that's our guest Justin. Um, but I went up to him and said, oh, man, dude, I, I've been calling you Patrick all this time. I thought your name was Patrick. He says, call me anything but Patrick. And as soon as anybody says call me anything but, their name immediately becomes Dave in my book. And it's now persisted for probably three years at this point. And it's to the point where, like, when we go to the gym and I see him, I go, hello, Dave. And uh, he turns around and waves. Yeah, that's all true. That's the story. Well, I, I have a little bit to add on there. Again, I am I am sorry, listeners. <laughs> I am well. I mean, it is a personal thing. I don't think it'll interest a lot of people. But the the significance of Dave and me being called Dave, despite the fact that I've never been a Dave, is that uh, when I was in high school, I had a math teacher who I would say resembled Zach, but you know, thirty years older, and he all the time mis- mistook me for Dave. <laughs> Again, a non-existent Dave, but. <laughs> The story gets so it's better. not the first time in my life. It's got levels. So you're, it's like an you, onion. So you're used to hearing yourself called Dave from someone of this general shape. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> does this mean you're that, gonna start is, g- that is a weird thing for you to experience in your life, and I apologize. Does this does this mean you're going to start calling him Dave too? What do you think? I mean, he, you could also call him Vitkoff. He's not the right shape. I, I will call him by his name. Okay, so his name is Justin Vitkoff. He is one of, f- is it five Justins now who worked at the gym? Four, that I know of. Okay, four. And you're just number one. I am number one. Number two has come and gone. Come and gone, hangs out, is in the neighborhood. We, we hold on to his number and hope that maybe he, uh, he'll make a re-emergence, but I don't, I don't foresee that happening anytime soon. Justin threw his cabbage? Uh, sure, no. Justin three would be Astorus. Astorus is three. Correct. And then, then four is his cabbage. Yeah. Cabbage is four. Correct. Wow, I had the number. So Justin number three, instead of caring about his number, wants to be known as the good-looking Justin. So I to to honor him, I call him the good-looking Justin. You could have you could have called it, but you didn't. He did, so he's. The good I didn't looking. have that need, but. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. 
He's the good-looking Justin. That's what he calls himself. Don't you? Aren't you said that you miss all this fun stuff now that you're not in Sunnyvale every day? I, I'm not sure what fun stuff you're referring to. <laughs> fun name calling. The fact that multiple people have the same first name. <gasps> oh my gosh! So, do you, so do you, you went uh, s- small side. You went wakeboarding with us yesterday. And you noticed how there were two Zacks, and the other Zach does a very good job of in- introducing himself as Zach Ten. Nope. Oh. Didn't notice that at all. He calls himself Zach Ten when I'm around. So that I was just trying not to wipe out, man. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I got some good ones of you wiping out. Can't can't wait to show you. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I'll I'll put that another another sense because I did wipe out, but I was trying to go as long as possible before wiping out. You did pretty good. I it. I'm like, I I'll be honest and say that I did better than I thought I would. So. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't think I would make it all the way around the whole thing. I just kind of. A f- Expected with your athletic prowess to be like completely diminished by your skill and ability without any time on the water. Like I was, I was expecting great dominance by the doctor Evan Pierce, uh, in, you know, in all forms of physical activity, and I, I was gonna feel, completely want, feel wanting. That's interesting. I've never been dominant in any field of activity without a whole lot of practice. So, uh, I mean, like. So you're shocked like, by my expectations, but they were still my expectations. Yeah. I yeah. kind of always Can't have tell gone me how through. I feel. I sort of always gone through life like feeling like I can be like pretty good at something with some practice, maybe above average for beginners, and uh, and then uh, you know in the end never excellent at anything really. Okay, Dave, have you ever been wakeboarding? No. Do you have any desire to go wakeboarding? Um, I wouldn't call it desire. <laughs> what would you call it? I mean, I, I, there's intrigue. <laughs> like, I'm not going to fight that hard against it. Yeah, but I mean, I, well, so here's If the you thing. found yourself on a wakeboard behind a boat, you wouldn't be upset. I wouldn't object, but <laughs> do I want to take my entire climbing gym staff on a staff party to a wakeboard park? Eh. Not, I'm not wild about the idea, but uh, if they were, then I would tag along and... I'm sure I would make a fool out of myself very quickly. So so the kicker to this yesterday was that I ended up talking a bunch of my coworkers into coming, and there were, like, six people from my office there. It was pretty fun. And, like, I brought my boss, who is who is relatively unathletic, but on the way up I made him listen to the last episode of self Pita Podcast <laughs> and had a blast with it. And I, so it was my boss and the other Zach, so Modoff and Zach were in the car. And um, at the end of it they're like, well, has a lot of Zachisms in there. <laughs> A lot of Zach jokes, whatever that means. I think we all know what it means. Are those like a, is that like another way of saying dad jokes? Yeah, I like dad jokes, but somehow worse. Dumber? Okay. Yeah, somehow worse. So are we going to talk about climbing in this one? Well, because, can I start? Because you complained about the last one being terrible, and so far we've talked about the wakeboard park. Well, I was just about to ask... Uh, Justin, uh, could you please tell me about when you started climbing? Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was um, 1991. Okay. It was, uh, June 9th or 10th, 1991. What, you have it down to a specific... I do. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, whatever that Monday was. So it's impressive to me because I am uh, in... Probably year 12 of my climbing. And uh, so you've got still more than twice as much as me. 
and yeah. uh, we're about the same age. We so are. Let's let's back we're up. A year apart, I think. Yeah, I think you're a year older than me. Sure. Okay. I mean, who's counting? Uh, man. Wow, I'm I, the I, young I, one I've in the group. Yeah, yeah you are. So. <laughs> I've been rounding. Up. I've been rounding. But up. I'm so much fatter. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm so like, I'm like, uh, you know, someone was like, oh, like, how old do you think I am? And I was like, oh, you're like, uh, you're like 29. And I was like, they're like, no, like you know that you're 10 years older than me exactly. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm not 40 yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm actually starting to round up with pride. Yeah. Have you gone through a midlife crisis yet? Uh, if I did, I was half my age. Okay. All right, so you started climbing... Went through a midlife crisis at 50? I mean, 20? <laughs> Sometimes my math is super wrong. Yeah, I went <laughs> like, the wrong direction. I'm not Benjamin Button. Right. We've started to realize this when you try and compute the things at the end of the podcast. It takes you a minute. Well, I, I, it takes me a minute because, one, I don't have all the data, so I'm waiting for you. But then also I'm like... Uh, I'm trying to remember how much I am, okay, and I'm trying not to mi- I'm trying to not misrepresent it. Maybe you should like think of that before you come into the episode. A little preparation. I don't care that much. The truth hurts just a little bit. <laughs> so, so Dave. Oh, uh, what I was going to say is that I actually can't even remember what year it was specifically that I started climbing. I wouldn't say I that. have it narrowed down to one of two years, but I'm not really sure which one it was. Oh, speaking of which, I have another thing to correct about this. So I was talking to my mom, and she apparently heard the podcast somehow, and it was not that... <laughs> somehow? <laughs> did, she, did she get a business card in the mail? <laughs> I think she might have been... Somehow. I think like she, Somehow she heard that there was a podcast. I can't imagine who I from. I think she might have been out here visiting with my dad, and I may have forced him to listen to an episode. Okay. And they corrected the part about us skiing, or climbing when they were tired. We would ski when it was raining. So when it was like, or sorry, we would climb when it was raining. So we'd go up to go skiing, and it would be raining, and they're like, we're not going to go out, it'll be too cold, and they're like, okay, so we'll go climbing. Where's this? This was at, this was at a Green Mountain Rock Climbing Gym in, in like, right outside of Rutland, Vermont. Okay. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's, and it's a pretty small ass gym. I think, I think uh, your your ice box would probably be about the size. Okay. Of the gym, <laughs> maybe a little bit bigger than that. Maybe two times the ice box, but like that's it. Let's put it this way: this this gym compared to Belmont, Belmont would be gigantic. Hmm. I feel like actually in a lot of in a lot of comparisons, Belmont's fairly gigantic. It's got a yeah. gigantically awesome staff. <laughs> It does at that, yeah. Justin, you were saying about your about my beginnings. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So it was June of '91, and uh, I was at a summer camp um, in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and they had a climbing and rappelling and zipline tower, and so I uh, was signed up for their climbing activity and fell in love with it over my week or two of uh, summer camp, and uh, by the end of summer, I did a couple weeks there over the summer, and um, by the end of the summer, I just wanted to climb. I didn't care about the archery or the rifle shooting or the whatever else it was I did, but uh, I wanted to climb, so I came home and talked climbing all the time, and my parents said, find a guide. (laughs) So I did. I went to the local mountain shop, which was, uh, at that time it might have been Western Mountaineering, but it eventually became Bugaboo Mountain Sports in uh, downtown Santa Cruz. And 
there was a guy there who was uh, the local dude for going outside, and he gave a ground school maybe like once a week on their little demo wall in the mountain shop, and I did that and learned my knots and how to belay, and then uh, started going up to Castle Rock with him and probably went up there once or twice a month on the weekends all fall. Christmas came around. Everything on my Christmas list was climbing gear. I think I probably got my first rope and my first harness and some carabiners and webbing, and pretty soon I had uh, more or less what you would need to set top rope anchors. And uh, within probably a year or two, uh, probably less than a year actually, I was meeting kids a little older than me who could drive and we were going up there on the weekends on our own top roping and starting to lead climb and then uh, that was two or three years of of uh, just climbing outside a couple times a month on the weekends and then uh, Pacific Edge opened. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've taught a class at Pacific Edge. You've taught a class at Pacific Edge? Yes. Okay. He teaches things. What, like an official class? I like, I was a co-teacher for an acrofit class. With who? At Pacific Edge. Courtney. Courtney. Is She's that... re- relatively new. She okay. just like we just got our certification for acrofit at the same time. Right. But I have I have taught an acrofit class at Pacific Edge. Cool. And I didn't I didn't know what Pacific Edge was, but I knew that area very well because there's a Verve right next. The Verve Road yeah, Series headquarters, right? And I used to drive all the. I would like go down there on Saturday you mornings just to get a coffee, and then drive back. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I drive down there, watch the sunrise, walk around a little bit. Santa Cruz is awesome, and then drive back. All right. And they used to have this really good. Oh man, they used to have this really good coffee cake. We stopped doing it, but it was great. Huh. Anyways, well, please Verve continue. Wasn't there then? Really? <laughs> no. So Pacific Edge has been there longer than Verve. Yeah, I think uh, I think when Pacific Edge opened, the best coffee around was Starbucks. I don't even know if there was a Starbucks around. That's what I was gonna say. Starbucks. I mean, there's there's always been Pacific Coffee Roasting Company, so that would have been around. Okay. Uh, and so before Pacific Edge, and like when you got your first trip and stuff, and you were tying anchors, looking back on it now, do you think that those anchors and those things were really that safe? Oh, I'm certain they were. Okay. Yeah. So you feel like you were bomber anchor setter from the beginning? Well, I learned from somebody who was, you know, AMGA or something like that at the time and knew what they were doing. And uh, I had John Long's How to Rock Climb. I had Mountaineering Freedom of the Hills. Uh, have, have you read that cover to cover? Uh, which one? Freedom of the Hills. Uh, cover to cover? Maybe. It's hard to say. Evan talks about it a lot. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't but remember what I have what read I re- it. I don't remember what I read cover to cover when I was 13 years old, but it's possible. I do. It's possible. I remember what I read. I know that I read every issue of Climbing Magazine cover to cover when I went around. I had a reading writing disability, and I think 13 is when my dad got his first computer, and I had to read Max for Dummies cover to cover before he let me use his computer. Hmm. So I read it, and then he still wouldn't let me use his computer. Mm. Very interesting. It's a great story, but it's not as good as Freedom of the Hills. All right. So... Pacific Edge up. It was as when Pacific Edge opened. It was it as big as it is now. More or less. Okay. The main floor is pretty much exactly the same. A little bit of a uh, uh, little bit of remodeling, but you know, if you walked in there today and 
and the last time you had walked in there was 1994, it would look basically the same. Got it. And, uh, and how long was it before you started working there? Oh, not long at all. Uh, maybe within a year of them opening, there was a woman named Sharon. Okay. Uh, who was super into youth in climbing. At that point, there was probably three of us. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, but she was trying to create these youth programs and whatnot. I mean, back in the early 90s, it wasn't like there was kids lined up outside your door for after-school belay programs or, you know, climbing teams or climbing competitions were basically 20 people. Okay. <laughs> on a national level. Yeah, Can I mean, you compete? I, no. Well, I mean, yeah, but not seriously. Uh, but, uh, you know, so there just wasn't really any kids that were committed to climbing. So when I say there was maybe like three of us, I mean, there was really like about three or four kids within my age range that were there on a daily basis. Did you know the yoga director, Amy? Uh, no, I know her well. Acro Yoga, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, so she, she actually crashed her van yesterday. That's what I heard. Yeah, there's a photo on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, they taught the class I got certified in. Oh, okay. And I'm super excited because I get to see them next week. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe. In uh, Oregon? Th- uh, so next week is supposed to be San Diego, and they're teaching some classes. Okay. I just wonder if they're going to get down there. Yeah. But hopefully they will. We'll figure it out. Uh, no, no, no. She was she she didn't show up until 2000, I'm guessing, four or five, something like that. Cool. Uh, but... Uh, so, you know, Sharon saw me as this devoted youth climber, and I, I can only imagine that she thought maybe we can use this guy to help encourage other young kids to climb. So within maybe a year or so, she was asking me if I wanted to belay for kids for groups that she had somehow signed up, and then one thing led to another, and I was belaying all the time, and, you know, it wasn't exactly a... Is this like you skipped school to go do this, or like... No, you no, no, school? no. I was, it was like after school on the weekends. Uh, as I progressed through high school, I was kind of at an accelerated pace, so I, like, I don't think they do this that much anymore, but at that point, if you, like, had the credits you needed to graduate... You know, you just needed a couple classes. You could basically show up and leave by, like, 10 or noon or something. And uh, So my last couple years of high school, I was only there a little bit, and I was working at the gym and mostly Blaine, but it wasn't the most well-organized business model back in the day. I mean, you got to think that at this point there's uh, City Rock in Emeryville, there's Pacific Edge in uh, Santa Cruz, and those are probably the two biggest climbing gyms in the country. And uh, well, you've probably never heard of City Rock. Nope, never heard of City Rock. No. I don't even know what year Planet Granite opened. Uh, well, they opened, the, the Santa, Santa Clara, Clara location opened a year or two after Pacific Edge. So oh, okay. they were, so so when they opened, they were definitely the biggest thing around, uh, probably in the world. Um, Planet Granite? Yeah, and I only say that because Pacific Edge, when they opened, thought they might be the biggest gym in the world. Who's the biggest gym in the world now? Who knows? Center One? Maybe the new one. The new one's pretty, pretty big looking, but I have no idea. There's so many gyms. I don't think anybody's keeping track. But uh, Evan does. Evan goes around to other gyms and then reports back. No, I don't. You used to. Well, I mean, you reported at least once. Uh, I feel what like are we you talking re- about. I feel like you've reported on this podcast at least once. Do we need to do like a timeout and you get another beer? 
No, not yet. Okay, you just let me know when. What's the biggest gym you've been to? I mean, probably Plant Grand in Portland. Okay. You haven't been to Stone Summit. I thought you traveled to Stone Summit for a, a comp or something. Nah, no, I never tried. Like, never the only comps I've ever traveled to are in the Bay or Sacramento. I've had people walk in from Atlanta and say that Stone Summit casts a shadow. Casts a small portion of its shadow over Sunnyvale. So I have no idea if that's true. But okay. I've heard that's quite a large gym. Well, I have to go to Atlanta, so I will check sure. it out. Report back. I'm going to Atlanta to check out... Uh, I have this this terrible dream to visit all the Patagonia stores in the U.S., and there's one in Atlanta. And there's not that many, right? There's like well, 20 or something? There's 31. 31, okay. Evan's like, this Weird. podcast is going completely off the rails. We're talking we're not, about all the wrong stuff. We Ask some go. questions, Evan. No, no. I, I am not complaining about where the podcast is going. It's the pat- visiting all the Patagonia stores <laughs> thing. I was like, oh, God, the Patagonia thing again. Well, what's, what's the goal there? There's no goal. Oh, okay. It's like a merit badge. <laughs> it's like you've been to all of them. Do they Can have you? a stamp? Is it like the National Parks where you have a Patagonia passport? They do have a sticker. So I've been collecting oh. a sticker. <laughs> and it's like the best part is they're all the same ugly stick. Like, sorry, they are kind of ugly. But they're all the same like ugly sticker. Well, with just, intentionally ugly. With just a different different word at the bottom, which says the store that you've been to. All right. Except for Chicago. Chicago only has one sticker for both stores. They have one Instagram for both stores. But I did get a second sticker from the second Chicago store that I was able to use. They're proud of their ugliness. Fair enough. That's <laughs> Evan's excuse for like this is over. Move on to the next topic. Let's go. Sure. So, okay, when you when you when you were climbing at that point, what did you find fun about climbing at at Pacific Edge and belaying and working there? Like, oh. what, what what was the what was the drive? Um, I don't think there was anything fun about working there at that point. I think it was the first paycheck I ever received, so that worked. But you enjoyed <laughs> climbing still. Oh, for sure. Uh, and what was the fun there? What was the fun there? Um, that's a difficult question to answer, but I think a, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I got to hang out primarily with people that were much older than me. Okay. And there was a sense of uh, learning what it was like to be, I don't know that I want to say an adult, but at least some semblance of adulthood that I hadn't experienced before. By the way, if you want to curse or, or handle Oh, I can say fuck all I want. Yeah, I can, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, no, we have the explicit rating. Yeah. All right. Cool. I'm very. Uh, what was the general attitude of people at that time that you were interacting with of towards the gym, towards climbing in the gym? I well, think the, it's interesting because yeah. gyms were just. I mean, this was the beginning of the. I mean, like now at this time, and we're talking, you know, twenty five years later, uh, climbing gyms are huge and they're kind of everywhere, and it's. You know, it's getting to be relatively big business. Not well, not big business, but like, I think it's fair. It's, to say there's that a it's, fair amount of money in it. It's sure. not football, but it's. I was going to say that it's uh, nearly mainstream. I'm not ready to call it. It's fully mainstream. I think that's fair. It's nearly mainstream. Like where you know, and certainly in, in our gym, where you know we've got programs that we do with the cities, where it's like summer camps and like YMCA's and we run our own summer camps and then after school programs like it's very it's in the mind of the American public I just it's hard for me to find a place that I go to that I can't find a gym to climb in if I wanted to so basically when I was in Chicago I looked up they didn't open early enough for me to get there but like there was a couple of bouldering gyms in Chicago that I could have gone to 
Yeah. You know, there's stuff in, in, in Fort Collins, Colorado, there's a bouldering chip that I could climb out when I went to visit my grandparents. There's gyms all over the place. Yeah, there's gyms all over the place, although I would say Fort Collins. Anywhere, if you mention anywhere in Colorado and say that they have a gym, that's not really pushing it. I think uh, it, okay. what, you're, what you're talking about when you're looking at ubiquitous of climbing gyms, you're talking about places in Florida and Alabama and, you know. I, I think, you know, like, the Northeast is also a big case where there's not a lot of mountains. There's not a lot of stuff to climb out there. That's there's, incorrect. There's two places, New Hampshire and the Gunks. Everybody, nobody else talks about anything else. Well, like you understand that the size of New England means that like it, they have more like destination class climbing in New England, uh, like closer to every place in New England, <laughs> almost every place because Maine is huge. But like Rumney is closer to like every state in New England than we are to Yosemite from the Bay Area. Like well, maybe I'll go climbing like, at Rumney then. Thank you. And just like there's there's a ton of climbing in in New England, and there's no reason to suggest otherwise. I feel like there isn't. But anyways, there's a there's a rock gym right next to my hometown, which is nice. Okay. And they've gotten better. So okay, we asked him this question. We never got an answer. So well, because we derailed it. I'm not sure what the question was at this. So point. I'm gonna go back <laughs> to the question. Um, so now climbing gyms are getting pretty close to mainstream. Very well known, people doing stuff and climbing on the national news. But back in you know twenty five years ago, that wasn't the case. And I'm curious as to what the real climbers thought of these people in their uh, plastic palaces. Yeah, I don't think there was any of the. Well, I'm not sure exactly what you meant by these people, but I think everybody in there was a real climber. I mean, I learned outside more or less. I mean, even the climbing tower with artificial holds that I learned on was outside. I, you know, and I learned my knots. I learned everything with an outside guide. Everybody in the gym was a Yosemite climber, or a Pinnacles climber, or probably both. Sierra climber. I mean, the people I was climbing with were like, uh, you know, Andy Puvel, Barry Bates. You know, the Bates problem on Columbia Boulder. Uh, Jim Collins, who's written about in. Uh, mm-hmm. Tommy's book and, uh, you know, Tom Davis, the founder of Pacific Edge, is, you know, a, uh, you know, avid first ascensionist. So I think what Evan's asking, if I, if I can try and rephrase it, is what did, what did you guys start thinking about when people started showing up to the gym who were not that? Yeah, I don't think that, I, I get that, but I don't think that happened in the early 90s. Okay. I don't, I mean, it did, but on a very limited scale. I know... So they were a non-factor. It wasn't a daily part of the experience. Uh, so, like, they're basically what you're saying is that, like, back in that day, like, these were people. The people who were going to the climbing gym were like outdoor bred climbers who were there to train and maybe yeah. hang out and have a little fun. Sure. And uh, they just didn't. There wasn't any sort of large contingent of people who would just just go to the gym yeah i mean i think today they're gym climbing in and of itself can be its own sort of sport and there's there are folk that probably have no interest in outside climbing and and that's fine it's uh it's part of what makes this industry uh sustainable did you notice the change do you do you you have a sense of like when that happened uh, I noticed it after the fact. Yeah. And I think the change has really been a lot more recent than, uh, than, uh, the birth of the climbing gym movement. 
I think climbing gyms were kind of popping up in a small scale way all throughout the 90s. And I think, I mean, do you have a sense of when the change happened? I don't. I, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if it predates me or not. Um, it's hard to say because I, I will admit that I, my climbing career kind of started at a gym at the place where I was going to school and then, but I immediately wanted to go outside, you know, right away. And, uh, so I ended up being mostly like a purely outdoor climber until I started working at Planet Granite. Sure. Um, and I would go to climbing gyms all over the country, but that was all I would ever do I, I didn't have a membership anywhere I, I climbed outside whenever I wanted to go climb um, I mean, and I so for me I never really noticed the that beginning of that culture until I uh, you know came to Planet Granite and started working there and I realized that there were these people that were into climbing that way just like you know I'm one of them right we do yeah okay well but the other thing yeah, is you yeah, don't not want to go outside no I just the, you just don't take the, advantage of every opportunity that's given to you to do it. You have other interests. I have other interests, and the gym is highly convenient. And on top of that, there's a there's a certain fear that I've had with outside that's like it's the risk factor seems so much higher to me that, like, the gym seems an approachable way to train for that. So it's like maybe the gym does not accurately represent what I need for outside, but for me it's a step in that direction. Well, I think the gym is anything but the appropriate place to train for the risk factor. Of being outside, yeah. I think it's a. I think it's a great spot to train for the fitness factor. But in terms of dealing with the outside conditions, that's where you're almost 100 percent removed from what you're going to experience. Yeah, I just feel like the mechanics, getting the mechanics, it's one less thing I need to worry about when I get out there. Like it's one less thing I need to worry. I, I if I have the ability to climb a you know, an overhung cl- climb, when I get out there and I'm on slab, I'll be a little bit less nervous. Uh, no. Definitely not that, because comparing overhanging climbing to slab climbing in terms of nervousness is, is just, it's apples and oranges to, to be cliche, but like, you know, the difference between like a climb where you can grab onto things and pull on them and you can kind of be like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to hang on much longer, like you can kind of tell. Slab climbing is like, well, I hope my foot stays on this, it might blow off at any second, you know? And that's okay. a really, really different feeling. Um, but... I think I want to go back to our the point of, like, we've seen this sort of shift where when Justin started climbing and started going to a climbing gym, he, you know, everyone who was in there either was in, in there with the idea that they were preparing themselves to go outside or they were outside climbers who wanted to check this out or maybe they were like, ah, I want to go climb outside, but I think the gym is where I should start off and, like, I should learn a little bit there before I go. It was very, like, culturally, climbing in the gym was not all that climbing was to the people that were in there. Whereas we have, I mean, I think now I see it all the time in people where that's it, like... You'll talk to people that have climbed in the gym for years, like, hey, do you, do you go outside and climb? I'm like, no, I don't think so. And they're just, that's, the gym is their thing. And uh, I don't think that was, uh, there was a very, very small percentage of people who were like that back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that was a significant part of the climbing population, the gym climbing population, until maybe 10 years ago. When... 
What do you think changed it? Do you think it's just a little bit more accessible, a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more known? And so you get these people who maybe would have stayed away otherwise, but they know that this is an option, right? Or do you think that, and this is kind of what what I would guess, I have no evidence to back this up really, but I would guess that climbing gyms have just gotten better to the point where... You, they offer more options, and there's enough variety. So, for example, at Planet Granite, um, I know in Belmont we have a rotation where every every single climb in the entire gym, from every bouldering problem, every route, has changed within two and a half months. So if you come to our gym, and then you don't go back for two and a half months, you come back three months later, every single thing in the gym is going to be different. Yeah, and so I think that that is that sort of forcing that variety. It allows people to keep keep pushing themselves and keep exploring new movement and keep the interest in the climbing, despite the fact that they're just still going back to the same place week in and week out. Does that make sense? Like, I oh, think yeah. if you didn't have that from your gym, if you had like, you know, if you had climbing routes going up sporadically with people who maybe are just like volunteering to set or just doing it because it interests them, then you're going to get, it's, it's going to be less fun to just keep going back to the same place. Yeah, I think that what you just talked about was very much the approach in the early days and that had to do with uh, a lot of things, it being a community-driven thing. So you're, you know, when it's a community-driven thing, you're you're of the community that you're for, and you're by the community that you're for, and so it's an insular sort of environment. I don't want to say it's esoteric, but it's uh, it's kind of you know it's not necessarily inviting to everybody else, the outside world. And I think what Planet Granite does purposefully that has helped play a key role. And I'm not saying that they're the only gym that does it. Uh, purposely, but they're they're certainly one of the leaders. Is you know they make this differentiation between a climbers gym, a, which is a gym for climbers, and a climbing gym, which is a gym that you can go to as anybody to climb, and and that as a distinction in the industry is still relatively new. I think we're still discovering so, what that means. So hold on, wait. My question for that is, I'm not sure I understand. You definitely had some very obvious intent to where you f- feel Planet Granite fits in one of those two things. And I'm curious about which one it is. Cause oh, I, can I think see Planet, Planet Granite is very explicitly trying to be a climbing gym. And that's not to say that they're trying to exclude climbers, but a climbing gym is a gym that anybody can feel welcome into. Right. Whereas a climber's gym you, you go to because you already are a climber. And if Got you're it. not already a climber, you're going there because you so want to be a climber. I think there's another category because I think those those two categories are great. There's there's yet another category of climbing, climbing-ish gyms, which are gyms that happen, offer some small measure of climbing. So, like, if you go to a sports complex and they've got, like, a little climbing wall, mm-hmm. they've got a thing like that. That's, that's also considered, like, a gym. It's not for climbers. It's... Not really, but you know, in my mind, not really bike climbers, but they're offering climbing as well as some other things. And so, my only concern is when you talk about it that way, a gym where everybody can go to and climb, 
I want you to. I want to really exclude that third category of gym from that. Well, that's the kind of gym that has a climbing wall. It's not a climbing gym, right? Like a climber's gym, but it has a wall, and it's kind of a novelty or something. They, they exist. Oh no, no. But I'm saying that the climbing wall aspect of those facilities is is more to be able to put it on the the list Check of offerings. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not necessarily, you know, a leading factor in its offering. Yeah. I'd agree, but I also, like I said, I, I don't have, a, and maybe this is me personally, but I don't have a ton of respect for that type of climbing situation, and so for me, I, I want to make sure that we're not including Planet Granite in that. <laughs> I have uh, a lot of respect for that. Well, I mean, I, I think, I, mean I, f- I think that Justin and I were successfully leaving that out of the conversation altogether, and then you decide <laughs> to throw it in there only to try to eliminate it. So it's an interesting, I know our interesting audience. tactic. I thought of it, yeah. Like oh well, there's this thing over here, and I want to make sure we're not including that. I'm like yeah, well that's we're not that's including it in the I same. Wasn't, I hadn't even thought of it, but it's a fair point. I mean it. I mean I think it's a fair point, especially because it it helps the industry. So I mean we might not want to include it in our sort of definition of a climbing gym, but I think the fact that those sorts of walls are popping up in sort of mainstream facilities or across college campuses and you yeah. know all these you know you've got like the party rental wall and whatnot that i don't know why that started happening but it doesn't hurt the industry in any means people it, go do that gets that out yeah because you're not going to become a climber on those walls but if you if you fall in love with climbing i mean essentially you could you could look at where i started climbing as something sort of like that a little wall at a summer camp nobody's going to become a climber on a wall at a summer camp but it sparked an interest right and uh, and you know i'd be willing to bet i'm not the only one justin i'm curious um It'd be interesting to hear what, and I, I know a little bit of the story, obviously, because we've known each other for about five years now. And it's been that long? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, How long have you known me? <laughs> I don't know, less than five years. Really? Yes. How long have you been working at PG Sunnyvale? He's not working. Five years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, I, a, that's where I'm getting this number. <laughs> I'm saying I was climbing there five years ago. Oh. Uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't meet you. Right I'm pretty away. annoying. I will concede that point. <laughs> I feel like you knew who I was without knowing who I was. Uh, I don't remember when I when you first rose to my consciousness, but I'm sure it wasn't right away. Okay. I was much more interested in the girls. That's wow. understandable. I'm impressed to hear him admit that. I mean, I'd be should I not be? I would be disappointed no. if he didn't admit that. Okay. I guess I haven't heard. Okay, sorry. You were saying about his story. Okay, uh, so Justin, you've been climbing now. Would you say ninety-one? Yeah. So this is twenty-six years. Twenty-six years. Yeah. And uh, and you know I've talked to you enough about climbing to know that you're every bit as psyched now as you were when you started. I think it's fair to say that I'm more psyched now. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to overstate the case. No, but I uh, you know, it's twenty six years down the road of of this uh, one sport, and you're more psyched now than you've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, you've gone through a number of evolutions in your climbing, mm-hmm. uh, and so what I was hoping we would dig into on this podcast was just to to sort of detail the the path that you've taken right and then uh and then talk about like what's what's kept the psych level so high what's what's raised it even higher and zach wants to say something yeah what's an evolution what do you mean by evolution 
Was I? Is it unclear? I I felt like I had a sense of it, but I guess not I don't think I understand what several evolutions mean. Well, I I think. I mean, I took it two ways. Like one, my perspective on the sport has evolved, and two, the sport has evolved into. I mean, you know, like when I started climbing, bouldering was not a thing onto itself. I mean, you could probably look at bouldering as as the climbing gyms of you know, the time before there were climbing gym. It was simply a way to practice right. the big stuff without having to get far from your tent. Uh, and, um, you know, now it's... There's people who will never tie into a rope, and they will only boulder. Or, uh, you know, and climbing gyms are another example of that. And deep water soloing, and uh, even sport climbing has become a much more accepted practice. I mean, you heard about all this when you listened to the push. Tommy talked about, Tommy brushed across uh, what Bolt Wars were all about. And that yeah. was a big thing. And Are you talking about evolution? Sorry, I thought you were talking about evolutions in terms of Justin's climbing. Yeah. Or, or evolutions in terms of the climbing. For world. sure, Justin, have you ever done big wall climbing? Yeah. Do you do it anymore? Mm, not in a while. Evolution. <laughs> I, well, that could be a did you boulder evolution. <laughs> what do, do you I boulder? I boulder more now than I ever did before. No. So, this is what I'm talking about. I just want to understand. Yeah, well, you would have understood if we had just let him talk. And I'll say that I boulder inside now more than I ever did before. I have an interest in bouldering inside now more than I ever did before, and and a little bit more outside. But for me, bouldering is still ultimately the way to. It's more of my training module than a, a sport onto itself. Okay. So you don't like you're not going for a high ball bouldering. You're just I have. Okay. But we've we have evolved past this due to various circumstances. So back in the nineties, uh, let's say mid nineties, as you approached you know the end of your teens, mm -hmm. um, what what were you into most climbing wise? Uh, so. The okay, um, that could go a couple different directions. Um, you know the it's big wall the girls. Thing. Yeah, that's no, what I was thinking. It wasn't girls. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, as, I I don't think there's anybody who grew up as like sort of a climber. And Tommy talks about this. Like, you you just don't get girls when you're a climber in the mid to you know early to mid to any time in the '90s. It's just not a popular thing for girls to like seek out, and you're very socially inept and. Like, forget about it. So I was a cheerleader. I'm still socially inept. Yeah, but, I mean, you're around girls all the time. I was around girls yeah. all the time. Well, not, not so much as a climber. Um, and uh, so, uh, <laughs> where, what? You're <laughs> distracting me with your girls. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so what was I interested in as far as climbing went? I mean, the first issue of Climbing Magazine I ever had was a photo of Pete Takeda on uh, Aurora, which is a route on El Cap. Uh, and uh, it was buried in fog, and they're in like a, you know, a portal edge bivy, and the wall looks blank. And you're like, how the fuck did they get up there? So from the very first moment that I started getting exposed to climbing media, big wall climbing was a huge thing for me. Um, and so I, don't, I wasn't there by the time, you know, I'm starting to think about college and whatnot, but it's very much on my mind. There was at least one attempt at getting on a big wall, 
uh, and uh, it ended with like my partner basically throwing his back out at the base of Washington Column and was just kind of staring at each other like that was a ridiculous amount of work to get a haul bag to the bottom of the climb and we haven't even gotten the ropes out yet so that didn't go too well uh, but there was definitely an interest in big wall climbing there was uh, a pretty sizable interest in first ascents so I did a little bit of that at the Pinnacles, a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean one route and then uh, an additional bolt to a... Did you name it? Uh, yeah. It was... I, well, I did not name the route. Uh, oh. the, the name was given to me by the person who took me to it and thought that I had the best shot of doing it. Uh, What's the name of the route? The route... Well, I don't know if it kept the name because I never got the first ascent, but uh, the route is up in Kirkwood, and we called it Breakfast Burrito. <laughs> which is uh, a reference to Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> uh, so so now you know it was definitely in the 90s. Uh, and uh, it was like a 12B or C little sport climb up uh, some random granite cliff in the Kirkwood area. Haven't been back. I'd love to go back. Uh, the guy was John Tuttle, who's, uh, I think he's a doctor in Sacramento now, but he kind of fell off the map. Uh, but he... Sport? Definitely a sport climb. I'll take you. I'll blow you. Well, I don't know how to get there. So, I mean, I know how to get to Kirkwood, but from there I'm a little lost. So, uh, I'd love to get back there. I'm, I've uh, We've come very close to getting Tuttle to, like, kind of emerge from his, like, uh, uh, cave. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess cave. he's on Super Topo now. He's, a, he's an active voice on Super Topo, but he's not returning a lot of emails. So, and I'm not on Super Topo, and I... Would rather. You know who tends to be on a lot of forums? Mm, several folks. Evan. Evan tends to be on a lot of forums. No, I'm not I sure if he's on Super Topo. I don't think Evan's on. He's, on, he's the on the gaming. I said he's, he's on forums. He's definitely on like at least Puzzle <laughs> Dragon forums. Speaking of which, sorry, s- small. I don't post very much. Small music. Read. Yeah. I'm a lurker. There we small go. musical interlude. <laughs> but there's no music. Are we getting beer? Is that what we're doing? We can do that too. But first, let me. I just got to tell you this story. I'm at work this week. I'm sitting at lunch. We're eating lunch. Someone pulls out a phone. Oh, yeah, I'm playing this new game, Puzzle and Dragons. Have you listened to Bad Bros? <laughs> Is that yours? Yeah. I'm pimping your podcast at work. You have a following, huh? Uh, it's kind of dead. Bad Bros is dead? It might be dead. Yeah. Like you haven't well, it's done because an episode I feel like in a while or people stopped nah, listening? Well, the last episode I recorded like a month ago and haven't edited and posted, so. Okay. Well, the last episode that got posted, how many listeners do you have? I don't know. I don't. Probably run, run you just put it out it. there. And you're Probably like, more than this podcast. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So why are you not doing? I've gotten them? emails from people in Japan from the podcast. Really? Yeah. I mean, not Japanese people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but people. I was going to say because the Japanese folk in, in general aren't. Now, I'm great sure with there English is language. a Japanese language podcast for Puzzle oh, and Dragons, but the video media is is much more interesting. To people. I'm just saying. This shit came up at work this week, and I repped you hardcore. I appreciate that. Great. Now time out. And we're back. I wanted to say it. Sorry, another break. Okay, it's your turn. And we're back. Who did it better, guys? Just let us know. We have a... Everyone knows. We have a Twitter somewhere, but I don't know what it is. I feel like that's not helping your chances to gain more than 30 listeners. Well, we also have a website, southbeta.com. I've been to the website. I'm working on updating it with some content, so there's, like, actual stuff. Yeah. 
Alright. There's gonna so, be pictures of me wakeboarding. Oh my god, there's so many oh, good man. pictures of that been wakeboarding and falling. <laughs> the, I got a great It's very interesting to me that you're like glorying in me falling. The, the, just it so you wakeboarding is you with a little bit of water coming out the back holding onto a rope. But you falling is like a masterpiece of like shit flying everywhere and water spouting and like it it's entertaining. And it's not just you. I got great pictures of you falling, and I got even better pictures of Fabian falling. Fabian is my boss's boss. He's this German guy. He's really funny um, and really fun. But, uh, but yeah, so he, he fell kind of dramatically, and it was awesome. Do you feel like you fell less dramatically? No. There was one. <laughs> that was awesome. It's like, I, wish like, I'm like, I feel like almost everyone is pretty equal in the falling is a dramatic. I felt there were a couple that I fell horribly badly. Yeah, like... It was awesome. You're like, oh my god, you fell so horribly, it was hilarious. Yeah, but there's no picture proof of it. There's picture proof of yours. Alright. Like, like I wish there were picture proof of mine. What are you looking at now? Just the architecture, the so right inside out sort of thing. Right above us there's is West cat. Elm. A what? West oh, Elm. we're under the street. No, we're under West Elm. What's West Elm? It's a it store. Like a street. Oh, okay. That sells stuff. Alright. Well, like furniture. Like I bought my bed at West Elm. Right. It's a reclaimed lumber bed made out of pine wood pallets. Yeah, I'm full of you shit. Probably All right. paid too much for it. Definitely paid too much for it. Um, <laughs> that's his. That's his motto. <laughs> it might be the family uh, motto. We, I mean, it's definitely a, paid it's, too what much was for it. it. A reclaimed pine wood pallet bed. Yeah. So they they went dumpster diving and turned. Wood pallets into an I expensive. Bed. I don't think you need to go dumpster diving to find old pine pallets. I think you just go to like any shipping yard and you get them. Like I don't even. Th- yeah. I think it's much much less effort than what you think. Okay. We were talking about your climbing evolutions when we took no, a no, break. No, 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 no. It's important that we delve into what the appeal of the reclaimed pine wood pallet bed was. Yeah. Why and why I, didn't did you, you not pay Walker to build one for you? <laughs> uh. Multiple reasons. It was probably cheaper to not pay Walker. <laughs> I'm not saying no. That's not what I'm saying. I I've, I've been looking. Walker is expensive. I've been looking for a reclaimed. He's high quality. I've been looking. He is. He is. I've been looking for a uh, reclaimed lumber bed for a while, and I've done a bunch of looking and trying to find what I was looking for, and I couldn't. I walked I into West Elm and I saw what I wanted, and the price was significantly cheaper than other comparable beds. And it's just, I like the reclaimed lumber look. So okay. What about a Walker Special reclaimed lumber? I mean, like, wouldn't that have been better? Well, none of my van is reclaimed lumber. All of my van is, like, actual go-to-the-store buy lumber. Yeah, but, I mean, you still could have had Walker make your bed. I just find it ironic that for how little effort you presume it to be to obtain reclaimed lumber... You're still going to the store and paying for raw materials. I pay for tons of stupid shit, okay? All right. I bought $100 <laughs> worth of boat hardware. <laughs> that's, that's the secondary family motto. <laughs> <laughs> I went to, I went to uh, West Marine today before I came here to buy some little islet thingies. No. So I can tie down my bike in my van when I go on my road trip this week. That's reasonable. And, uh, yeah, but I bought, like... I probably need two. I bought like seven, and I bought like different types of of different expenses. I there like it was ridiculous. I could have walked out of there spending fifteen dollars. I didn't. I walked out of there spending like ten times that. Hmm. 
Is it returnable? Probably. But you're not going to return it? Probably not, because it's hard to get there. Huh. I'm sorry, I was using the family motto thing, and then I realized that it would have been much better if I, if I stole the, uh, the joke from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and started saying title of, <coughs> title of Zach's sex tape. Which is, I pay for tons of stupid shit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's so many terrible jokes that I've got from that, but I need like at least two more beers before I share them. Um, do we want to return to where we were before we jumped into the musical interlude that then ended up in a break? Okay, where were we? We were talking about evolutions and the, the, the evolutions of climbing for, for, um, for Dave here. And kind of how his motivation has changed. We've, we've talked about the how the, the we've talked about the fact that the motivation has changed. Um, I'm wondering if you like were there moments where you noticed that your motivation was changing, or did it happen gradually? I don't think that I really am the type of person that notices much in the moment. Okay, that that doesn't sound good. Did you well, of, that's that's definitely a self-deprecating thing to say on the surface. But I think that. Walker, or not Walker, Adriel tells me that I'm very self-deprecating in podcast form. So I heard okay. all about that, yeah. Yeah. On on your previous episode, uh, or your previous, the last published episode. Yeah. Uh, episode number 10. So. This oh, is 12. This is, we, I think you guys started off saying this was 11. Oh shit, well this is 12. Alright. I could have messed that up. Oh, I just well. figured you were. We'll fix it in post. Scrap heap, and maybe it was. No, we're bringing that out. I, I promised to... people stuff in the last one. If you listen to the end right. of it, uh, first time people who listen to the end of it get a small prize. <laughs> Just defeated the small. purpose, man. <laughs> the whole point is that you put out a long ass podcast, and at the end of it, you go, hey, "If you listen all the way to the end, you're gonna get a prize." And then you like drop. You can't spill the beans in a subsequent. Po- podcast it doesn't make any well, sense well i think that the prize will be collected the question is how long into it will it be before it's collected and two more importantly who will collect it and i think if you're listening to this point and then you go back and listen to the other episode and i put you through all that torture and you make it to the end then awesome but i'm going to quiz you on the middle of the episode if you try and click the prize oh i think you could have just st- stuck to the standard ruse and but no. That's no, I'm not standard in anything I do. We've already found out I spend money on stupid shit. I think that's actually very standard. I'm not <laughs> standard in anything that makes you very American. I'm not standard in anything I do, title so, of your sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> so I, have, I will admit I spend a lot of superfluous funds on various things. But my friend Ariel, who is a very dear friend of mine, says, yeah, you spend a lot of money on a lot of crazy crap, but unlike most people who spend a lot of money on a lot of crazy crap, you actually use the crap out of the stuff that you spend the money on. So I actually, like, I do buy a lot of camera gear, but I actually, like, I brought uh, some pretty heavy camera gear to the water park yesterday and took pictures. I have a camera with me pretty much wherever I go. Like, I use my shit. I spend the money, but I use it. I sleep in my bed. It's a fucking awesome reclaimed lumber bed. <laughs> cool. <laughs> what a brag. I sleep in my bed. All right. I, I do, too. <laughs> Yeah, me actually, me as well. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> I don't, I don't sleep in my beds in storage. <laughs> I sleep in Sandy's bed. It sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, let's let's. I was gonna ask. Um, 
So you were into big walls. I was, well, I think we got as you were far like as super me wanting to be into big walls. You were motivated by yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then you were not uh, at some point. Well, yeah. How far did you get? Ten plus years down the road. How far did your motivation for it take you? And then uh, was there any sort of singular event that led to it, or was it like a gradual fatigue? Um, there was no gradual fatigue. There's definitely an openness to going back to big wall climbing. I think there's just some lifestyle changes. Uh, but, I mean, we're jumping way ahead to, to get there. Because, I mean, by the time I'm starting to get to the point where I think I might have the ability to get on a wall... We're talking like 95 or 96, and um, and so in 96 I go to college, and I went to school in the last place that would ever really keep me climbing. Iowa. No. Okay. No, not the last Florida. place. Florida. But I, didn't, I did not go to a climbing capital. I, I chose between Colorado and Walla Walla, Washington, and I went to Walla Walla, Washington. I feel like there's climbing, there are mountains in Washington. There's definitely mountains in Washington, but Walla Walla is southeast in the foothills of the Blues. And yeah. so you're not exactly in the heart of the Cascades or really close to them. And I, it's not that I couldn't have gone up and climbed. And I, I definitely went to Walla Walla with the intent of spending time at Smith Rock. You keep saying Walla Walla. What school is in Walla Walla? There's three schools in Walla Walla. Are they all colleges? Y- yeah. By school, I meant college. There's more than three schools in Walla Walla. There's a community college. I didn't go there. There's a Seventh-day Adventist school, which is technically in the town next door, and I've forgotten the name of it. So, there's only, so right seamless. now we're at two schools in Walla Walla. Yeah, and then there's the one I went to, which is Whitman College, which is a small is it, liberal arts school. Is it from Walt Whitman? No, it's from Marcus Whitman. But a lot of people think Walt Whitman, and that would be the better way to go because Marcus Whitman was a Christian missionary uh, whose motto was, our plans require time and distance, because I think that sounded better than our plans require that we give blankets to Native Americans. Okay. Well, I will tell you that I went to a Catholic university, so we have that in common. We both went to Christian Okay, yeah, mine was Jesuit, but it was very... By the Jesuit time is I Catholic, to, dude. N- okay, fine, but it's the... It's there n- there it's, was no... No, there's there nice no, Catholic, and then there was even a church on our campus. There's ninth Catholic, and then there's, like, more religious Catholic. I went to a more religious Catholic than Where a did Jesuit. Where school? Went to Villanova. We're Augustinian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is... Oh, well, I've read a lot of Augustine. Yeah, so get this, right? Do you happen to know who started the Protestant Reformation? I was going to sleep over there. Do you know? Do you know who started the Protestant Reformation? Just fill in the blank. I could say yes, but I, I mean, wouldn't remember. Are you Are you going to claim it's not Martin Luther? No, I'm going to say this: Martin Luther. Luther. Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation by hanging his, you know, one of the thirty-one treatises on All Saints Day. Do you know what order of Catholicism he was? He was the Order of Saint Augustine. He's the same. Like my school, father. Like the order that fathered my school fathered the Protestant Reformation. We've got that but going that's for not us. Unique. Yeah, well, there's. I don't know if I don't know which other schools are Augustinian, but I know that ours is. Okay, and it's a fairly well known. It's only well known because we won the NCAA tournament two years ago. Go Wildcats! Woohoo! And Josh Hart just we got also drafted have by had the success in the NCAA. Oh really? Well, yeah, in a much lower division, but oh really? Our women's team has been to the finals at one or two years in a row. Which division? The, a low one, the one that you're in when there's only sixteen hundred students in your school. Okay. 
I'm, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't follow college. Okay, so you went to school there. I, actually, I mean, uh, on the topic, and to segue, I, I went to school there because there was very little emphasis on school athletics, you know, organized sports and, like, fraternities, sororities. I, you know, a lot of the reason I went to school there is because it was more involved in the outdoors and in Got the liberal arts and to a degree the sciences, but I wasn't interested in, in those sorts of things. Okay, so you went there because, okay, and you said you went there with the intention to climb Smith. I went there with, the, I mean, I went there thinking, you know, I arrived with my haul bag full of climbing gear. And, and when I showed up, the people that had met me the year before when I came in as a prospective student remembered me because... I had made an impression on them as a climber. So, I mean, within the first few days of me being there, I was receiving invites to go climb with whoever, and, oh, you should meet this guy. He's an incoming freshman, and he loves to climb, and uh, it just didn't go that way. So you took some time off from climbing? I wouldn't say I took time off from climbing, because it's not like I didn't climb while I was in college, but while I was in school, climbing wasn't my primary focus. Okay. But every break I had, I was climbing or going to climbing areas and sharing them with with students and you know people who were my traveling companions or whatever and uh i i was certainly thinking about climbing on a regular basis while i was in school but i would say that my skills didn't develop anymore beyond where they i mean i I became weaker i was probably a 513 ish climber when i left for college and when i came out of school i would barely getting up 510 so you know from a grade perspective yeah my climbing declined but was that because of the freshman 15 or other things we no, found out that i didn't really lose... experience the freshman 15 okay because we found out if you lose five pounds you can cycle 30 percent faster up a hill all right that was in a previous episode okay is that you're pointing at evan Did he, he it was his fact pounds? no it was his fact oh he was okay. his, he's my source of reference on this all right okay so 513A, 510 climber coming out of the college. Um, what happened? Did you, were there no gyms up there? No, I mean, the, the, the school had a wall. Uh, so let's not call it a gym. They had a, a wall that was the outside of the athletic facility, and it's probably about 85 degrees, so just shy of vertical, and they had holds bolted all over it. The, uh, this geology professor there is actually... A, a fairly active member of the climbing community. If you've ever been to the Red River Gorge, there's a, a number of routes that he's put up in the North Gorge, Kevin Pogue. So okay. there's a route there called Pogue Ethics, I think I want to say is the name. It's an early sport route there. Uh, he's a was, I assume he still is, a geology professor at Whitman and uh, was instrumental in having that climbing wall. And there was a little, like, you know, I think it was a con- converted um, squash court uh that they had made into like a little indoor wall, but it was such a you know you describe the gym in Vermont as like half the size of the ice box, sort of that sort of thing. So nobody went, ever went in there because it was yeah. you know just dark and dank, and you'd lose all interest in climbing by stepping foot in there. But uh, but the outdoor wall was fun enough. Um, so you know maybe once a month or something I'd go over there and just see if I could still cramp or something. But. Uh, um, Do the roots change, or they say that not so much? Yeah. Okay. So, so that's not helpful. But I think mostly just the folks that I became interested in getting to know 
when I went to school were not uh, like avid climbers. Like I was. So the folks that I ended up wanting to hang out with, it's not that they weren't climbers at all. I think they all knew the basics and had a real strong interest in the outdoors, but roping up and going to places like Smith Rock or you know, the major climbing areas of that time was not on their priority list. It was more, you know, kind of being outside, going backpacking, spending time in the mountains, reading Jack Kerouac and the like. So that became more, you know, the, the sorts of people that I got to know. And, and so, I, you know, I would say that as a climber, I continued to develop, but I developed the sort of ideas Right. that are so entwined in climbing more than the physical aspect of it. Got it. And then, so then you graduated, and did you come back here? No. Well, for a little bit, but uh, I spent a year in Japan. Were you climbing then? Yeah. Where were you, what, where were you climbing in Japan? On the beach in Okinawa. There's beach All, climbing? There's, there is. Well, I don't know. There was. Evan, did you know about this? I didn't. Yeah. In fact, if anything, that was where I really started to get psyched to climb again. Uh, all on my own, at, you know, on the beaches of Okinawa, beach bouldering, literally, literally on my own. Because uh, none of the other JET teachers that I knew, I was on the JET program. Uh, what is JET? JET is uh, the Japan... Uh-oh, it's an acronym, uh, and it's been a while. Uh, I want to say Educational Teachers. No, it's the Japan English... No, I want to say it's the Japan... It might be two E's, like the Japan English and Exchange Teaching Program. Some, some, let's... Okay, something like that. Yeah, but the two elements of the JET program are that you're... better than JEET. Yeah. It's probably one E. I'd have to look it up. This is embarrassing at this point. Uh, but I spent a year on the jet program. I take away that the boulders were better than the teaching. The, uh, well, for my set of circumstances, the jet program is a government program, so there's all sorts of you know ways that you can go teach English abroad and you can uh, get your TOEFL certificate and teach in pretty much any country in the world. But the jet program is a little bit different than that. It's a um, Japanese government sponsored program uh, and they bring over thousands of mostly recent college graduates every year to teach in public schools throughout Japan. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. And so as opposed to being like a, you know, a TOEFL certified English teacher in a classroom where you're the sole teacher, you team up with Japanese teachers of English, but you're there as a language model and a cultural model more than just a sole English teacher. So the school that you get placed in will determine to what extent they want to use you. And so my school wanted to use me. My, I went to two schools, one school four days a week and another school one day a week. And uh, my primary school really only needed me about, depending on the time of year, maybe you know, on average, maybe three times a week. Okay. Three hours a week. So I had, you know, the vast majority of my time to sit at a desk and do whatever the hell I wanted. And so I read. I read all the books I didn't get to read in college that were piling up. And, and then stuff. after school, you'd go out and climb. Yeah, I'd go out and climb. I'd, uh, really, this is? Are we off topic? Just wondering what time it is? Yeah. Well, all right. He doesn't have a watch. Oh, fair enough. That's, that's why I got the watch, is because pulling the phone out. Yeah. Is really rude, but if I wanted to check the time, I'd just go like this. I was yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That's Which, in itself, is its own sort of 
almost phone-like device. It's it is a phone-like device, but it's yeah. much less obtrusive. That's true. It's, it's not like I'm a physical. Still not used to it. The full looking at your phone, and I do it all the time. Looking at your phone for just Are the time. Are you guys both wearing Patagonia pants? I think we're, we're wearing, wearing the same, same pants. Patagonia pants. Yeah. I'm yeah. buying a fucking pair tonight. These are great pants. Yeah, I'm ordering my pair tonight. I'm surprised yeah. for all your Patagonia. The thing is, the stamps. You, you don't have your, a pair of Vanguard What's your inseam? What's your inseam? Uh, whatever. In jeans. Is, like uh, thirty or thirty-two, something. Yeah. Like that. What's your inseam? Thirty-two. Yeah. You know what pants Patagonia makes? Thirty-two inseam. That's it. The only thing they no, make that's is not true. They, don't, they, they only make, make shorts and they make long inseams. They they have make a thirty inch inseam and a thirty four. Not usually not in those. I think in those they only come to thirty two. Oh, maybe I'll look into it. But I last I checked, inseam thirty two only. Short people like me are fucked. All right, I roll them have up anyways, bro. I was gonna say, yeah. Brah. Okay. All right, so <laughs> they roll pretty nicely. Fell, fell back in love with climbing in the beaches in Okinawa. This yeah. is like, I'm not going to lie, this kind of sounds like a romance novel. Uh, sure. I mean, it was... Uh, I'm Not in a bad way. Like, this was a romance novel I'd yeah. read. I mean, part of it, too, was getting a visit from a really good friend of mine. Uh, and, you know, I think at that point I had just figured out where the little hole-in-the-wall gym was. And then some of those folks had kind of shown me where to go for some of the real rock. And then... Chris came out, and uh, we kind of, you know, spent a week going around finding all the climbing areas, and, you know, Chris is an inspirational sort of figure. Yeah, all three of us know who Chris is, but I'm pretty sure our, our readers may not know who Chris is. Well, I mean, it could be We anybody. don't have any readers. Yeah. Listeners. Listeners. <laughs> Followers. I feel like probably most of your listeners know who Chris is. Yeah, but when they talk, there's too many Chris's. True. That's not true. I've met some of our listeners. They don't know you. Not every one of them knows you. Well, that's great. I mean, they know who Chris is, so but because we haven't said his last name, they don't know which Chris it is. So musical interlude. Let's leave it. Musical. No, I'm bringing this oh. up. Musical <laughs> interlude. La di da di da. There was actual music that time. Um, but no, the, normally be Nelly. I sing a lot of Nelly. Um, the I'm I'm watching YouTube. So like when I get up in the morning, I get up at like five, be, like before six in the morning, get to the gym at six thirty, and I watch. YouTube clips to, like, get myself going to the gym in the morning. So it's like I can get, pump myself up for climbing because it's early and I normally go to bed, like, at 11. So I'm, like, on six hours of sleep. I'm, like, got to get to the gym, got to be excited. And I'm watching a video and it's, like, Chris climbing the giant, like, the biggest tree in, you know, the valley. No. Or or in California. Where was it? I mean, it's not the biggest tree, but it's in California. It's, it's a, a giant tree in Humboldt. County Park. One of the most giant... It's a giant-ass tree, okay? Yeah. And who's who's belaying Chris climbing the giant-ass tree but Dave? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God! <laughs> that's Dave! That happens. And that was Chris. Yeah. That's Chris Sharma climbing a tree. Glad you said not me. Okay, good. Yeah. It was cool. That was a fun... That was a so fun he came tour. out and you climbed? Uh, yeah, he came... Well, I mean, he came to visit me. Was he... Was he... Was he climbing was, a, was just a natural... Was he big at that point? Uh, well, so yeah, I think that was right when he was getting pretty big. Okay. I, I'm, or I don't. It's really hard for me to say when he got big because, for me, it's just been like. Well. He's been a friend, and he's always obviously been really good at it. So in my mind, he's always been pretty big, but not in. Well, Tommy, hints at it in the book. Well, you know, yeah, but I mean, reading that book is in. And getting Tommy's take on him 
becoming big or whatever, Tommy's always been a huge hero of mine. Mm-hmm. More so than Chris, because I don't really know Tommy. And, uh, and so I, my takeaway on that note from that book is that Tommy doesn't really feel that he ever really got big or anything until it almost seems like the Don Wall. Yeah. But that's not how it was for me. I mean, I knew Tommy was going to 20,000 feet when he was 15 when I was in high school. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, who's this kid going to 20,000 feet with his dad, you know? Like, if you were part of the climbing community you, and you were reading the fine print and climbing magazine, you, you knew about it. It wasn't a secret. Yeah, I... I sorry, Evan has a perplexed look on his face and I want to understand it. No, I figured out what he meant. Okay. Aconcagua? Yeah. No, okay. Which which was the 20,000? I don't even know. I'm lost, but I'm okay with being lost. 20,000 feet, meaning he climbed a 20,000-foot peak in Peru when okay. he was 15. Yeah. Which so I think is significant because, I mean, it's not a it's not exactly the hardest 20,000-foot peak in the world, but to be young and going that high is a fairly rare thing. For the most part, in high altitude. it's a lot of damn hard work. Yeah. It's not a whole lot of fun. So I was in, yeah. per- I was in Peru, and I walked up to Salkante, which is like 14,880. Uh, 14,888 feet or something like that. And that was that was hard, and I got altitude sickness kind of just doing that. What altitude did you start at? Cusco. So 12. Yeah. Yeah, so... Okay. So, I mean, but I also... To, you have to understand, there was a little bit of a race at the end of it that was stupid, but uh, that's another story. Right, anyways, going back to what we were actually kind of talking about. So, after after Japan, what happened? You came back here? Uh, more or keep less. on waiting until you to to find out you know to to where I can reconnect with your timeline. Well, I feel like you're trying to get to a specific part of my timeline, and you're not that close yet. But we'll keep going. Uh, I'm not trying to get to a specific t- part of your timeline. I'm trying to figure out like because I've been climbing at PG for eight years now. Mm-hmm. So y- you've been working. Really? Yes, you've been climbing there longer than I've been working there. Yes, huh? I've been climbing there for I maybe even closer to to eight and a half years at this point. Okay. I came out here, I moved out here, I got a membership, I started climbing. I didn't climb a lot, so I wasn't good. So you've been good. climbing in Sunnyvale since more or less close to when they opened. I don't know when they opened in Sunnyvale. 2006. I started climbing 2008. That's when All I started right, climbing. It's 2017. So... So nine-ish years. All right. Where so eight, yeah, eight. 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 I'm, I'm lost on the math. Huh? Yeah. All right. Cool. I climbed. I started. So I lived. I moved out here. I'll tell you. I moved out here in February two thousand and eight, and I started climbing right. with my roommate right. at Planet Grant. And then I took the time off, and then I came back. All right. All right. Well, I'm not. We. This whole math thing has really gone awry. It's, it happens when we had a little bit of beer. Right. All right. Well. Seems uh, like an inconsequential. I guess debate. the most. I guess the <laughs> thing is, is that I don't remember you being a significant. Uh, no. Uh, when Part I, of the community when I first I was not. I, I, I clearly wasn't. This is a... I've become more involved in the community as I've really mo- removed myself from cheerleading. So I'm still involved in cheerleading. Like, I'm still involved. Like, I still coach one day a week. But I used to I used to spend 40 hours a week doing cheerleading. I feel like there was a very deep metaphor to what it means to be a climber involved in that statement. I totally missed it, but I'm sure Did I got it. I, I got it. It was good. No. <laughs> okay, but I've I've enjoyed the kind of transition to being more involved in that. And then, unfortunately, I think some people at gym have suffered like Evan when I annoyed him with random useless crap. But he didn't get annoyed enough to not do this with me. So I feel like 
you know, definitely some level of success. I feel like I was more on your side than most people. Really? But, Justin... <laughs> um, <laughs> you just got to wait for the laughter to die. <laughs> okay. You came back from Okinawa. Yeah. And uh, what was... Uh, what was... What was your driving force then? What was what were you thinking about? Like, uh, I'd saved up a bunch of money and I wanted to travel around the world. Oh, cool! And then what did you do? I uh, I bought a plane ticket for something like September. I don't know. I'm gonna make up the date, but approximately September seventeenth, two thousand one. Oh my god! Yeah, great timing, huh? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. So it didn't go so well. So you didn't get on the plane? No, I did get on the plane. Uh, I went to Europe, which was interesting and not too big a deal. And then I went to Jordan for a layover, which got a little weird, given the news of the day. And then I went to India, and I had a big beard at the time, like, you know, big. And, like, from the moment I got off the plane and I'm, like, navigating the streets of New Delhi, people are calling me Osama. So... That was weird, and then because I went, of the beard, yeah, and just like obviously I'm an American, but that's the joke. Like ah, the American Osama. All right, uh, and then I traveled across uh, to the border with Nepal and up into Nepal, and uh, the goal was to do the Annapurna circuit, which is a mm-hmm. walk around that part of the Himalaya. Uh, and the Nepalese government in sort of solidarity with the American government declared their own war on terrorism against the Maoist rebellion that had been uh, going on there for a number of years and I don't really know much about it but uh, I was uh, and I was traveling more or less alone I had met people along the way and thankfully I had met some really uh, a really cool couple on the flight into Delhi who were more or less on the same sort of trip that I was on. And uh, and so I kind of latched onto them, and uh, on the bus up into uh, Pokhara, the bus that you take from, like, the Indian-Nepalese border up into this town, Pokhara, which is, like, the main town to embark on the Annapurna circuit, they were like, oh, you know, we've got this place that we want to stay, and then... What happens is you're traveling on these buses and, and like, Nepalese folk will come up and just start making friends with you. And then, you know, it's the the goal is to, like, hey, come stay at our little hotel or whatever. And I met this guy who seemed legit enough. And I was like, you know, I kind of like this guy. And I don't know if it's legit, but it's worth checking out. And, I you know, you can always say no. And, and the guy of this couple was like, no, nah, I'm going to the place I've been to before. I'm not going to trust anybody. And I was like, all right. I'll find you. And so I went uh, I went with this guy to his family's little hotel in Pokhara. Uh, his brother was uh, kind of uh, managing this little hotel and uh, it turned out to be a really good good decision on my part because really nice folk, really nice they you know put me up in a really nice room uh, and uh, you know were kind of in the process of introducing me to a guide to take me on the circuit and um, uh, I was, you know, kind of the the thing that flipped the switch that kind of, well, there was two events in my not that long a time there. I don't remember how long I ended up staying in Nepal, but uh, 
one day we took a motorcycle trip up this valley uh, into the kind of the heart of the mountains or whatever. And um, we're going along and uh, uh, the family that I was staying with, their last name was Gurung, which I, at some point I learned was like the the class of folks that are traditionally like the police officers or whatever. And, uh, and for whatever reason, these guys weren't. But uh, we came to these people who were blocking the road with literally a piece of string. So it was like, we're, I'm like sitting on the back of this motorcycle with this guy and these guys are holding a piece of string across the road and it's like, you gotta stop. And, uh, and so they start talking in Nepalese or something and uh, like kind of arguing. And then all of a sudden my buddy Mon is like, put your feet up and we're going. And I'm like, whoa, what are we going? And they're like, I was like, isn't that a roadblock? And he's like, yeah, but those are the Maoists. And they're just trying to get you for your money. Don't worry. I know all my families, all, you know, all my relatives are like the police officers. They're not going to do anything. And I'm just like, all right, that's a little weird. Okay, so that's the first event. <laughs> yeah, and then the second event is I went out one morning in search of uh, my friend's hotel to see what their plans were and how they were developing. And maybe I'd join them on their track. And I walk around the corner, and there's, like, a whole, I don't know, brigade of the Nepalese army training in the streets. And, uh, like, the leader looks at me, and I'm like, I'm not on the right street, am I? And he's like, nope. And I'm <laughs> like, out of here. <laughs> and so, and then, of course, you, you know, being in a third world country, you inevitably get sick. And, uh, like, I just felt all sorts of out of sorts with the developing war on terrorism or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, that was your last stop? That was, I yeah, I kind of looked into changing my ticket around, but ultimately just between being sick and the whole world feeling like it was, you know, on the verge of some sort of war, uh, I was like, let's just go home. <laughs> let's get a job. I'm a year removed from college. Let's get a real job. And so I bailed. And that's when you came back in to the Bay? Yeah. And was that when you started PG or were you starting somewhere else? No, PG was a long time later. We're years from PG. So at that point, what was your climbing interest? Uh, at that point, um, I mean, my climbing interest was still like, I wish I had been in the mountains in Nepal, but uh, I don't regret the decision to come home. I mean, after I came home, just having follow, followed the little bit of news coming out of uh, Nepal, there was, you know, quite a bit of uh, mayhem. Mm-hmm. going on uh, and I know there were some bombings in Kathmandu and I flew out of Kathmandu and it was weird and uh, I mean I don't think it was anything like Afghanistan or you know any of the like major but it was closer to you like it's closer yeah to it was you know you're there every, and you're there alone and you don't know every, much and it doesn't seem like the right place to be yeah. as a like young 20s recent college graduate who just has a bunch of money to burn so my father was in New York on uh, September 11th 2001 mm-hmm and, uh, you know, I was in school, and it was my freshman year I was in school, and, like, I'm, I wasn't, I was nowhere near it, but my dad was, and that made it real for me, and that made it more real for me, and, like, I couldn't get through to him till, you know, like, so I, the stuff happened pretty early in the morning, I couldn't get through to him till like, four in the afternoon, because all the mm-hmm. cell towers were down, mm-hmm. and so when I finally got through to him, and I finally found out that he was okay, like, it was very reassuring, but, like, that's, you know, that's a real thing, and if you were in a space where there's a thing, even after you've left, like, there's a geographic location to the thing that you know. 
that uh, that that makes it realer. That makes it more real. Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's like the defining moment of our probably all of our lives so far, right? In terms of like a mass cultural moment, right? I mean, maybe yeah. we have individual moments that define who we are as individuals, but in terms of our reference point historically on a like yeah. communal level or something, uh, September 11th has to stick out. The world, the world changed in the States. Else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the Pearl Harbor of our Yeah, I would say so. Do you, do you disagree? Nope. Okay. So you came back, you came back to Santa Cruz? I did. I came back to Santa Cruz. I wasn't sure that I wanted to be in Santa Cruz because I'd gone to school in the Northwest and most of my really good friends at that point were in the Northwest. So I bounced back and forth a little bit between Santa Cruz and Portland thinking I, maybe I'd move to Portland. Uh, just living at my parents' house, not really having much ambition. Definitely, you know, it's like you graduate from like a semi-prestigious liberal arts school in the Northwest and people are definitely offering you jobs. So, you know, you get these letters of like, check out our company and from recruiters or whatever. And uh, wasn't interested in any of that and uh, ended up working at a lighthouse. Uh, That's fucking awesome. Yeah. A lighthouse youth hostel. Uh, 25. What? Yeah. It's right over here, man. Go check it out. Pigeon Point? Yeah. There's a and there's actually hostel? two of them in our neighborhood and more than that total. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's also Lighthouse in Montara. I wish I'd known hostel. about it when I was a youth. Well, you can still go there. There's a lot of non-youth that go to Pigeon Point because it's a pretty unique location. Um, and if okay. you want to go see the elephant seals, it's a great place to stay and go see the elephant seals. Okay. Uh, but and they have uh, what uh, I believe the San Francisco Chronicle called the best hot tub on the West Coast. So really, that. yeah. Okay, so you were working at the hostel. Yeah, I helped run the hostel, and uh, uh, it's actually a pretty good job. I mean, not great pay, but great benefits, paid vacation, acupuncture insurance. You know, probably a lot of. The Benefits that do you have acupuncture like, insurance? He does not. You don't, do you? I do not. Yeah. Have you ever had acupuncture? I have not. Really? Would you do acupuncture? I don't see any reason to. All right. I feel like there's a reason that we both. I'm terrified of it. So we I'm, should both do it. <clears throat> I'm not afraid. I just don't see the benefit. Well, I, I do. I am terrified of it, but we're, we should both do it. I'm going gonna, gonna to buy you an acupuncture certificate. I'll, right, I, I can't say that everybody that I know has seen the benefit, but I can say that it's uh, helped me through some significant elbow issues. I have a severe fear of needles, but I'm going to go through this just yeah. to do it with... Well, with don't elbow. look. But do you have something that you want to solve with acupuncture? It's a personal challenge. But that's not what acupuncture is Your fear is of needles for. is not something they really treat. No, but it'll be like me testing my fear. You know, I feel sorry for your acupuncturist. This is, this is not the point of acupuncture. So I have to have an injury? Yes. Okay. You have some to have sort some of sort of ailment that they're going to be curing. Like, it's like, I mean, that's <laughs> like saying I'm afraid of needles, so just give me a shot of whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've come up with worse ideas. All right. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Well, I will say that the needles go in much deeper than you would think they do. <laughs> so good luck. 
I know this. I'm looking at Evan right in the face. Occasionally, they miss one when they're removing them, and then you're like, Can, "Oh, that one! Oh my gosh!" Can I ask you a couple of of other of other questions? So, so one of the things that we talked about in the past, and something actually I brought up with Evan yesterday, is that I would like to do a big wall. Like yeah. I would like to do big walls. Uh huh. Um, not the hard stuff, or as it's all pretty hard when it comes. Yeah, to but big like ones. I'd like to do the easier of the hard stuff. Okay, what's that mean? Uh, I he doesn't know. <laughs> Don't ask him that question. <laughs> I get the sense that Evans asked this before. <laughs> but he 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 wants to do a big wall in El Cap. Okay. And I've told him that he needs to work into it and learn things for sure. And so I'm about to ask you, from your perspective, what does one need to work into in order to get there? It is like. Uh, so I I just want to say that like, we're gonna run crazy long on this podcast, <laughs> and if you would stop going on tangents like this <laughs> fine take over which is totally off topic we might actually get to the like point that we were like talking about the whole time okay you get to, you take so, over like, if you want to know like what you should do to like get into big walls this is not the not the moment for it I'll just alright okay we, we can skip, move on we'll talk I mean, about I it some other time two words out there manual labor okay all and right. with that, that Evan will take over the podcast. And I'm not taking it over. I just, I'm just trying to reduce the tangents, man. So, so get us some direction. Come on. Well, I mean, in, in the story of Justin's climbing career, he's uh, back in Santa Cruz working at the lighthouse. Yeah. And, uh, and climbing in... And climbing? I mean, we don't even know. Oh, no, that's what I'm trying to All we know is that he's, like, got a really sweet acupuncture insurance and a hot and it, tub. And that's what I was going to say, the hot tub. Hot tub access. Hot tub. Times. Yeah. Uh, and climbing and hiking a lot, uh, long distance hiking, day hiking was, became a big passion of mine. And I see that really intertwined with climbing. I mean, for me, climbing is anything that goes uphill. So, you know, I think as rock climbers or gym climbers, we're kind of, we tend to get tunnel vision and think like fifth, five point something is climbing fifth class. And so it's easy to forget that climbing is first through sixth class. It's interesting that you say that. I think that's pretty funny because uh, people will be like, oh, like, uh, what did you do this weekend? And I'm like, I climbed Russell. Oh, so hiking? And I was like, yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, and that's like what third is, class, and third class for me could be the scariest thing you do what in is, your climbing career. Yeah. What is sixth, sixth Eight climbing. That's what you want to do. Big wall, yeah. eight climbing. Okay. So it's not often referred to as the sixth class, but the aid climbing aspect of it. So you give it an A1 or a C1 to 5 or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's all climbing. If you yeah. walk up, you know, when we leave your office, we're going to climb up the stairs. Now are we going to write about it on whatever blog or Instagram? It Probably not. I might, actually. Pretty cool stairs. But um, you, did you see uh, the pictures on the way down? I did. Are I took about there? half of them. All right. I'll show you my picture. So, um, <laughs> thanks. Long distance hiking. Did you do anything in particularly memorable? Yeah. Uh, do you guys know the Skyline to Sea Trail? Oh yeah. 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 I've done the second half of it. Cool. Well, uh, my big goal became to go up it and down it in a day. But not just up the Skyline to Sea Trail and down the Skyline to Sea Trail, but to do a loop. So uh, I think the culmination, culmination of my long-distance day hiking sort of passion, I guess, was going up the Skyline to Sea Trail to Castle Rock along uh, 
you know, Skyline Boulevard, more or less, on the trails there. And then uh, I think it's Russian Ridge Space Preserve, where you dive back down. You go into Portola Redwood State Park all the way down. There's a deep valley there. And then you come up the backside of China Grade. If you're familiar with Big Basin, China Grade kind of defines the, what, the eastern aspect of the park, northeastern aspect. You gain... China Grade Road, and then you can come down any one of a number of ways, Middle Ridge, Fire Road, back down into the Waddell watershed and out. So I don't know how many miles that is, but let's say 60-something. I was going to say, it's, I think it's 30 to do the Skyline to see. So yeah, it's, roughly. It's like 60. Yeah. yeah. That was a pretty It's a fun day. beach, though. Waddell Beach is a great beach. Yeah. Yeah. So you did that? That was a day, yeah. You know how long that took you? About 22 hours. It's pretty rad. Yeah, I mean, it could be done much faster now. They've got like all this ultra marathon mountain running, and I'm sure it could be done like super fast. But we were walking and just. just you did it with somebody else? Walk. Uh, yeah, I did it with uh, my buddy Patrick, uh, who literally <laughs> did it on. Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, who literally did it on a whim, but he's that sort of guy. But my buddy Scott and I had kind of trained for it. Originally, uh, a really good friend of mine, Adam. So when I said at the beginning here that there was really like three of us climbing in the gym on a regular basis, it was me and Adam and Chris. And Adam and I had originally set out to do this Skyline to Sea Trail thing in a day, and we failed because we didn't account for the fact that once you're about 30 miles in, if you stop for about more than 15 minutes, you just go into like, I'm crashing and now need to recover for a significant amount of time so we were like okay we're gonna hike through the night and get to the top and the sun will be coming up so we can rest for two hours and then because the sun's up we'll like we won't be able to rest so we'll just keep on hiking well the sun came up and we were like 30 miles and done Mm -hmm. so we hitchhiked back to santa cruz so the second time around was with uh scott and patrick and we pushed it out Awesome. By the yeah. way, if you need anybody in the future for that type of an adventure, like the person that will sign up for something that's way over their level that they probably can't do, I'm that guy. Yeah. Well, I'm not planning on doing but anything so like that in the future. There's never a need for something who someone who will sign up for something that's yeah. over their level and that they can't do right. when they want to complete something. Right. Just so you know. Like, Patrick's not the guy who signs up for it who's way over his head. He's more the guy who signs up for it, and you're like, eh, that might work. I um I have a tendency not to give up. Um, All right. So, uh, like, what was what were you climbing back then? I know you said you're. Oh yeah. Low, like uh, rock climbing. What was what was happening? What in your was life? the climbing? Um, a lot of Sierra adventures, Tuolumne, the Valley. Starting to get into some aid climbing, some failed attempts on walls, uh, some peaks, a uh, little bit of sport climbing. What was the first wall that you uh, you success had successfully success got up? Uh, I would give it the south face of the column, although I think in most people's book it wouldn't have been successful. We tried to do it in a day in the middle of winter. We got there's what there's like. Uh, have you done the south face? No. Uh, so there's like two pretty easy free pitches right at the top. Mm-hmm. We bailed just at the base of those simply because. We were like, eh, do we really want to go down North Dome Gully in the dark? So we were like, nah, all right, we're good. We did that as a practice run uh, to kind of, my partner at the time, uh, to just kind of make sure that we could work well together to go up the west face of Leaning Tower. So about a, maybe a month later, we went up the west face. So the west face of Leaning Tower was the first thing I topped out. Uh, and then... Cool. Yeah, not too bad. It's a good intro wall. 
steep, so you got to be willing to deal with exposure. Okay. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, if you want to do something exciting. Yeah. Well, is Tuolumne open? It's not no. in Tuolumne. It's in the valley. Oh, it's in the valley? Yeah. yeah. And Tuolumne's not open yet, though? No. No, first of all, we don't have to worry about what's open, because if you want to go do something like that, there's a lot of shit you got to learn first, and we can talk about that off air. Okay. So, okay, that was your first thing. Yeah. So, uh, where to go from there? Did you do more walls? Oh, yeah. I've done a bunch more. Uh, once uh, I got one done, I did, like, six in a row without failure. What's the What's the one that, uh, is there one that was, like, the biggest highlight for you? I would, I would put two down as the as big highlights rainbow wall and red rock simply mm-hmm. for the amount of effort it takes to get to it uh and then the climbing itself is fairly easy but uh we descended off the back mm-hmm. uh so a lot of people repel but you hear kind of horror stories about ropes getting stuck and you know we did it big wall style so you have a haul bag as opposed to doing it in a day and being able to move pretty unencumbered so with a haul bag, we had talked to a number of people who were like, yeah, you might as well just walk off. And the cool thing about Rainbow Wall is you literally top out at the top of the whole watershed off the backside. And so you walk down the entire watershed of uh, Oak Creek, Pine Creek, one of those two. I'm not yeah, really sure. Uh, when you said Red Rocks, this is Nevada. Nevada. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so that descent is really memorable. The climbing is also memorable, but the descent, just being able to navigate basically an entire watershed is a pretty cool thing um, for somebody who likes being in mountains. And you don't get to do that in the Sierra so easily. Like a, no. a whole Sierra watershed is probably going to be, you know, 100 plus miles. Yeah. But in Red Rocks, you can do it in a couple hours. Um, yeah. And uh, and then uh, after that, probably the most memorable wall would be the Zodiac, which in it in and of itself is like typically not that difficult of a wall these days. When Zodiac was first established, it was probably the hardest big wall in the world. When I did it, it was just post the cleanup. And I think that was 2005 or six. And we, uh, what happened is the Huber brothers had gone up and established the free Zodiac. And after they did that, some of their friends came in and cleaned up the aid line, which meant they removed all the non-original fixed gear. So any bolts that weren't part of the original first ascent, any pitons that were fixed, they got rid of them all. Uh, with the exception of the free bolts that the Huber brothers needed to you know, do their thing that were within reach of the route. So more or less it, it had been established to like something resembling its original state. And I say that because, not just because there was a couple added free bolts along the way, but um, free climbing bolts, but uh, because, you know, over, what, 40 plus years since the route had been established, the hammering of the pitons and the rock significantly changes the character of the climb. But but we did, I think, the seventh post-cleanup ascent, Mm -hmm. uh, which was fairly serious, especially because at the time we were... um, pretty into clean aid climbing, meaning, like, don't hammer things into the rock, try to leave the rock as it was. Um, and that we means nuts and... Yeah, nuts using, and like, yeah, nuts are ideal, or cams are fairly straightforward placements, but when you're on a climb of that nature, that sort of gear, that sort of um, 
mainstream gear doesn't always work, so you have to... There's little tricks of the trade. You can hand place beaks, you can use cam hooks, you can use hooks, uh, you know, any one of a number of things. So uh, so we got it a, a bit not clean, but fairly clean. Um, and uh, and so that was pretty rad. And, uh, That's so cool. Yeah. Um, can I ask where that is? That's on El Cap. Okay. And uh, so... Sounds like you kind of like moved out of that phase of big wall. Yeah. And uh, it also sounds like it wasn't like you were like, you did one and you're like, fuck it, never again. Definitely you were like, not. just kind of faded into something else. Was it, did something, did uh, your psych level increase for another aspect of the sport or were you just kind of like uh, looking for something new? I'm pretty sure it was because my parents had nagged me enough that by the time I was about to turn 30, I decided that maybe I should go back to school and try to, like, have a career. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And uh, and so that kind of... Because yeah, big wall climbing, if, if people don't realize, is generally a, v- a pretty large investment in time. Yeah. If you're, if you're planning to go do Zodiac, which I imagine took you guys about somewhere between four and seven days. Yeah, it was four days on the wall and a day to kind of get established with yeah. like dinner here. Yeah. And like and so, you know, you're you're going to the valley, you gotta set aside probably, you know, at least a week or more, mm-hmm. you know, for prep, mm-hmm. waiting for the correct weather window, making sure that that's not an issue. What if there's other parties on the route that are in your way? And then you gotta you know, take about five days of actual work to kind of do the climb and descend off. That would be the typical way. I think for us, we uh, eliminated two of those conditions because we went in the middle of summer, so, uh-huh. so it was no just weather. fucking hot, <laughs> and we dealt. And then uh, because of the clean, because it is you know before the cleanup, it was a trade route, and probably within a couple years after the cleanup, it was a trade route again. And by trade route, I mean it's there's enough fixed gear that you know it's even though getting that gear into its position where it could no longer be removed was a technical process once it's in there and you can just kind of clip a carabiner to it and use it it's no longer really the technical skill it takes to get it in is not really a factor in the climbing trade um, route is kind of like a term that they that is used for uh roots that are non-technical enough that you can guide someone up them. That's kind of like the the meaning of trade route. Sure. It's like, right. it's like, it's something that you can have as a part of your trade, sort of. Like, okay. there's the trade route that goes up Mount Everest. You know, there's, and that's like Is, the, Royal, is Royal, Archers, Royal Archers considered a trade route? Sure. I mean, it's one of the most guided routes in the valley. Yeah, there okay. you go. Yeah. So, but, you know... At our particular moment in history when we did Zodiac, I don't think it was a trade route by any means. And so uh, I don't think there were any other parties on it when we did it. I think maybe there had been a party the previous week. But, um, you know, I mean, like I said, it it had been the previous year that it had been cleaned up and we got the seventh ascent Mm -hmm. post cleanup. And so in a year in time and and that point in time, uh, you know, like rewind a year, fast forward a couple years, seven parties going up Zodiac is probably something that happens in any given, you know, couple of weeks during the prime of the big wall season. But yeah, uh, for our little moment, it was actually. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, external pressure led to you sort of moving away from big wall climbing. 
I mean, I don't think it was entirely external, but it, it didn't hurt that, you know, you've got the parents being like, you're almost 30, what are you going to do? So uh, I went and got a teaching credential. Cool. And you started teaching? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, my dad was a, a, a teacher and then a school administrator, and so I kind of grew up with the, you know, that in my house growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it seemed to make sense. Like it was something I was familiar with from an early age. And I mean, I already taught climbing, so why not just teach something in a public school? Uh, it was also the height of No Child Left Behind. Um, and, uh, and none of that was for me as it turned out. Okay. In that environment, what, where did your climbing where was your climbing taking you at the time? Uh, well, certainly, the, like you said, there's not the time for big wall climbing. So it, for the, I'd say for the most part, it took me to the climbing gym. Mm-hmm. You know, I was actually a member of Planet Granite when I was uh, in my teaching credential program. I, I did my teaching credential at San Jose State, and I, uh, my one of my friends from Pacific Edge was the head setter at Sunnyvale, and so I would climb with him, and then uh, got my own membership because I couldn't always climb with him, and so. Uh, I would, you know, go in on my own and... This had been, like, 2008? Yeah, this was, like, 2006, 2007, maybe 2008, somewhere in there, yeah. Uh, And uh, it was, you know, from basically the time that Sunnyvale opened until, uh, yeah, I'd have to really sit down and start writing out dates to figure it out exactly, but somewhere in there. I was a member at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and so... I was, I started in 2008. Uh, I I was out of here by 2008. It was membership canceled December 2007. Yeah. For where'd you go? Off. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> another tangent. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> well, it was when Stephanie was setting rooms. Yep. Stephanie was a setter? Yes. Yeah. Is Stephanie that I'm supposed to be intimidated by? You're not supposed to be. Okay, the one that I am intimidated by? Yes. Okay. Hmm. It's an ongoing joke. Well, I don't um, think it's unique. So, gym climbing, and then, uh, so, you know, was, was gym climbing something that was able to maintain your psych in the sport, or do you feel like your your climbing psych is just sort of like, uh, you know, a I think it was self-perpetuating thing? A little bit of both. I think uh, at that time, that's when I first started kind of zoning in on the idea of get up in the Sierra at least once a year and do a mountain. So somewhere in there, I don't remember all the peaks that I attempted or did, but somewhere in there, a significant one would have been uh, soloing uh, Middle Pal, Middle Palisade, the east, what's that, the ridge, Kular, something like that. It's in the Croft Guide. It's a great route. Um, shoot. The 14,000? It is a 14. So you would have done it. I have done it. But I don't know that you did that exact route. Did you do the, you know, you go off the glacier and onto the, there's like a little bit of a Berkshire that you cross, a little bit yeah. of like pretty stout third class, and then you gain like a, you, well. It was like, like a really broad, open couloir. Yeah, or and it was filled golly. with ice. Oh, yeah. it was filled with ice for it's you? ice and snow, yeah. It was oh, great. When I did it, it was just like rock. Yeah, I can imagine it wasn't as great. It maybe was, it was It was easy. nice. It was yeah. a good day. Yeah. Uh, no, I, Yeah. That was uh, that's a standout ascent for me. So there, so those sorts of things kept me going. Would you and, do that in winter? No, that was a July, but it was a good snow year. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should go do it this year. 
It you should be, do it this year. There would year. be more snow on it this year in July than there was in the year that I did it. But please be safe. Yeah. But you should totally go do it. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to hear because like when I did it, Sends the glacier. Yeah. Like I was punching through to the glacier ice on the snow that was oh, left on the glacier, but there was still snow on the the couloir or whatever, and gully. Uh, did you do crampons? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, awesome. Like, Would have been necessary. Very cool. You send me um, pictures. I'll post it on the blog. Yeah. Um. So, you were uh, sort of climbing in the gym, sustaining yourself with some Sierra expeditions. Uh, was sport climbing outside? Is that you know? Not I, a ton, and I just say that because it it's not until the last, you know, six or so years that I've really started going to any sort of area that I think is significant in terms of sport climbing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, probably there was some gold wall trips or a jailhouse trip or, you know if you want to call pinnacle sport climbing, but I wouldn't. Uh, Some of it is. Yeah, I mean, it's close. Sport climbing is neither a sport nor a climbing. Mm, I disagree with that, but uh, I've heard that before. Uh, <laughs> Have you? Yeah, several times. I think I've said it it's also in jest <laughs> myself. But, uh, you know, I would say that of competition climbing. I, I don't do... <laughs> I don't do climb. Okay, Evans like he you open up a tangent, and he has a significant background in coaching, so this could be a big one. No, I'll just say for me, um, climbing is neither like for me. It's not a sport. It's it it it, and I'm not saying it can't be a sport. Like it could be a sport. People do it sport wise, but the way that I do it is not. The way that I do it is an activity that I love, and mm-hmm. um, and that's and that's. I use it as a way to see things. It's not. I'm not competing against other people, and I don't want it to be like that. The only thing I compete against is me, and I want to be able to climb with other people. So, I I say it in jest because Evan told me the joke last week, and I finally get it, or two weeks ago, and I finally get it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I I I think it's to me it's a bigger thing than that. Yeah. All right. All right. Tangent over. Is it? <laughs> Um, so, what, uh, did anything, do you notice any moments, were there a moment that sort of inspired your, uh, your sort of change into sport climbing? Uh, or is it just kind of like a gradual I don't know if there was a moment, but I would say that, uh, being a increasing part of the Planet Granite community has really helped me become the sport climber that I am today. What about it uh, led to that? Um, I don't know. Because <laughs> I know that there's... I think uh, he was trying to get away from me asking him questions about cold brew. Oh. Uh, yeah, no. So, <laughs> there's definitely, like... I mean, like, Planet Granite, I think, is one of the... Probably the one of the busiest climbing gyms in the country. And there's a ton of people That's that sure. co- come through there. Yeah. And there's a really you know, relatively big community of psyched, relatively strong climbers that are in there. Yeah. And I think it it's really easy to have, you know, like, it's really, I, you know, it, there's people that can kind of support their psych all internally. They don't need any external influence and they, their psych like builds and grows and it's just all coming from themselves. And there's, you know, and, and most of the rest of us have some sort of balance between like, our internal level of psych and the psych that we can gain from those around us. And it sounds to me like 
you know, you had access to the sport climbing of the gym and were starting to really enjoy it in part because of the psych of those around you to get on those same routes, talk about beta, work on things together. And then you with your, you know, clearly many years, decades long love of outdoor climbing are not going to let this psych just be something that's in the gym and you're going to channel it to your outdoor excursions as well. So I yes mean, that and can no. be inaccurate. <laughs> I think I mean I think the assumption that I was like, you know, part of this community where we're like talking about beta. I mean there is a little bit about that uh that I'm sure fed my interest. But I think I mean when you take kind of the I've been to a lot of climbing gyms, but the two primary climbing gyms that I've spent, you know, most of my gym time in are Pacific Edge and, and Planet Guide in Sunnyvale. And Pacific Edge is undoubtedly more of a trad climbing gym in terms of you know, how it constructs its sort of gym attitude, mm-hmm. right? And Planet Granite has, you know, it offers, I think, both. I think we have great cracks, and I think we have a really active trad climbing community within our gym, but we also offer uh, a really uh, good sport climbing uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Coming from Pacific Edge, where I'd done the trad scene for a lot of years, it's not what Sunny attracted to me to Sunnyvale. You know, it was the sport. It was what I hadn't had an opportunity to like kind of immerse myself in. And on top of that, you know, one of my best friends is like you know arguably you know at that point the best sport climber ever. Um, And so it was you know, but what made him the you know the standout sport climber of the generation or whatever is not in California. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in Europe and all over the world. And I didn't really spend a lot of time in any of those places until more recently. And so having sort of like this offering in my, you know, out my back door, be it inside, but on a world-class level, uh, you know, was really intriguing. Like, cool, let's go, you know, see what it's like to get on 513 and not be worried about whether or not it's run out or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, and which is to say I had never been on a 513 that was run out because that is not for me. <laughs> uh, but you can go into Sunnyvale and you can get a sense of those sorts of grades without the sort of commitment that you would in a trad climbing environment. Um, and so, you know, it was an opportunity that I didn't really have up until that point. Um, and, uh, you know, which isn't to say that it wasn't available. I just didn't seek it out because it wasn't, it wasn't there for the taking. You know, it was the low-hanging fruit in 2006 or seven or eight, and it was like, cool, let's go do it. And, uh, and also it's easily accessible when you're in school and trying to start a career and, and all the things that go along with that. So, um, you know, you're not going to go climb a big wall. You're not going to go spend a lot of time in the mountains or whatever. So, so it was there, and it turned out to be a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you alluded to, uh, you know, like the run out nature of things and how that's not for you. Um, was there ever a time when that was for you? Like, I mean, you yeah. mentioned some of the big wall stuff and, and like sometimes that can get a little hairy and, you know, like going up into the mountains and, you know, snow, ice conditions, that can be a little hairy too. Um, mm-hmm. Is uh, 
did you find that you like hit your limit on those things and maybe bounced back and turned around or uh, you're just like uh, you're like hey I, like I want to do something uh, super fun and yeah. I want to try really hard and I do not care to have that be associated with any sort of uh, elevated risk factor. I so I think you know if if there is a moment that I can pin for in terms of like a change in my climbing career, there is a season at the Pinnacles where I was pretty into the kind of the scary stuff. Yeah. Uh, don't ask me what year it was, but I remember there being a year where it was like, let's go do that R-rated thing twenty times this year. And then for whatever reason, you know, you don't climb at Pinnacles in the summer, it's too hot. And then the next year comes around, and I remember going down there being like, let's go get on this thing, it'll be pretty mellow. And, you know, just by mellow, I mean not as scary as whatever else I'd done the previous season. And I remember getting on that route and just being like, damn, I don't know what's going on today, but this thing sucks, and it's not even that bad. And I think, uh, you know, it wasn't lights off altogether right then and there, but uh, but that next year just didn't feel quite the same and uh i'm guessing that's like 2006 or something like that and uh so you know just through happenstance alone not that far afterwards i'm starting to climb at sunnyvale so i guess it all worked out pretty smooth but um but there definitely was a time where for whatever reason i just wasn't all that enthused on pinnacles climbing anymore um but the mountain aspect of it you know snow third class, the, sort of the typical Sierra climbing, that's never something that I've lost uh, some sort of enthusiasm for. I feel more comfortable in the mountains than I do on, like, loose run-out choss. Um, it's more fun, too. It is more fun, and it, which isn't to say it's not a little scary sometimes, but at least for me, I feel like I have a little bit more control in that environment. Maybe there's a little bit more predictability, like you can look at a line in the Sierra and be like, eh, okay, we can probably make sense of that. Uh, but uh, a run-out route in the valley or at Pinnacles or wherever, for me, I've never quite been able to wrap my head around that in a way that I'd want to do it for, like, many years to come. Mm -hmm. It's always been just kind of this brief moment in time, like, oh, well, we got away with that. Fair enough. Um, so, obviously, big wall climbing took you to certain places that are pretty interesting. Mountaineering has taken you to some places. Uh, where has sport climbing taken you? Yeah. Uh, I think what's interesting about sport climbing is there's very few sport climbing cliffs that I've walked up to and just been like, when you walk up under El Cap and you're just in awe, right? You always, you know, you see the photos in the magazines and they're pretty glorifying of the sport climbing cliffs. Usually there's a little bit of a letdown when you get to the cliff mm -hmm. in a sport climbing sense. You're just like, that's the famous Dura Dura or whatever, you know, like that's the hardest route in the world. Okay, it's blank. I don't even see any holes. But the places that you go and the cultures that surround them and whatnot are, are actually some of the coolest places I've been. So Kalimnos, Greece is, you know, been there the last two years i'd be going back this year if i wasn't like forcefully staying away just because it's time to like see another area um but uh i mean what a cool little island in the middle of the mediterranean like close to turkey and you know you probably would never hear of it if you weren't already in that area or a climber but it's you know one of the you know leading sport climbing paradises i'd say in the world 
the Red River Gorge in Kentucky, one of the poorest areas of the United States, but also uh, probably one of the richest in terms of the quality of sport climbing. Can I ask where the Red River Gorge is in Kentucky? It's in the Red River Gorge. Do you do you know which side of the state it's on? Oh, uh, two hours ish east, mostly of Louisville. Okay. I used to live in Kentucky. And you've never heard of it? I wasn't a climber back then. But that, but I've I feel heard, like I've like, heard like, of well, it. like the whole thing, like I say, it's the Red River Gorge. It's like a national recreation area. So. Yeah, we didn't. We oh. like we didn't do. Okay. They didn't recreate. All right. Not well, in that way. Evan has you went to horse races or something. Not even. Like, okay. my parents... I'm not getting into it. It's another tangent that's not worth going into. Huh. Save it for another time. Fair enough. Turned over a new leaf. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I've realized that our, that our length on this is going to set a new record, and I'm excited yeah. about this, and I don't want to waste hope, my I time. I hope people listen to the end. There should be a prize. I... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll let you come up with it, and I'll find a way to make it happen. Uh, well, all right. So you're more psyched than ever. Yeah. Um, you've been traveling. You've gone to Kalimnos the last two years. I've uh, been to the Red in Kentucky. Yep. Uh, other places throughout, you know, the U.S. and also abroad. What's uh, What's the next destination? What are, you know, this high psych level, where is it going to take you next? No, I hesitate to say it because I don't want too many people to know about it. But I'm going to Wyoming in about a month and a half. Well... This will probably not be posted for a couple of weeks. All and right. to our audience is about 30, 30 people. 30 people, I know. So hopefully this doesn't explode your audience. I've you been on here for a record amount of time. You don't want people to know about it? To, uh, I mean, I, I'm always hesitant back. to have more people know about the places that I love. I mean, and Planet Granite can be an exception to that. But, uh, you know, in terms of where I go climbing, like part of why I love climbing there is because there's, you know, a, there's... You know, Not too many people there. No, I mean, Klimnos is one of the more crowded places on the planet, but I don't want people going there just because they heard it was cool from somebody who's been climbing for a quarter century. you got to go there because you really want to be there because that's part of what makes it cool to be there is the people who are there. You know, I mean, like in Klimnos, uh, we discovered this little pizza joint on our last trip. Uh, we ended up eating there like, I mean, I would have eaten there every night. If it wasn't for Sandy, we probably would have eaten there every night, you know. Thankfully, she actually wanted to experience some of the other cuisine. Uh, but, you know, every night we went there, it, there was Michael Kennedy and his crew eating next to us. And uh, Michael Kennedy is like one of the founding editors of Climbing Magazine. You know, it's like you go to these places that are on the map, but the people who are still there are, you know, intimately involved in the climbing community. And you're just showing up and it's like, oh, this guy seems familiar. It's, like, it's not like he planned these things. Or, you, you know, there was, like, uh, Ben Ditto was regularly at one of the restaurants we went to, and he's, like, if you watch Real Rock Tour, he was a central character in that. Like, you get to go to these places, and I'm not, like, trying to name drop, per se, but you get to be a part of a community that is, you know, pretty rad. So I don't want people to suddenly, like, you know, I don't want to, like, talk about these places and suddenly have people just going there because they're, like, fans of the new mainstream thing. You should go there because, you know, you've opened the guidebook in your living room and you're like, whoa, that looks really cool. I want to go do that route. And then if you show up and you have all these cool experiences, that's just, that's cool as well. You end up in the other spot, though, where I am, which is, like, where I sit is, I don't feel like I'm worthy of going to these places. Like, I don't, and, and maybe I'm not. Maybe that's where I'm supposed to be and maybe that's where I'm supposed to feel. But I'm, I'm afraid to go climb in Yosemite. I'm afraid to go climb, and yeah, I'm not going to climb the hard stuff, but... I'm afraid to go do that stuff because I just feel like such an outsider. 
And yeah, like well, I don't think that's the. I don't think you need to have that fear, because I, I think you'll create your own worth by being there. But you can't just show up and be a fanboy. That's not the way to create your own worth. You have to show up with some goals in mind and like open. You know, have the guidebook on your coffee table and be like, "Wow, that looks cool," and something that I might be capable of. Do your research, and then have your adventure, which seems maybe like there's a contradiction in terms there because a lot of Adventure. What it means to have an adventure is stepping into the unknown, but I think that if you leave it at that, you're really missing out on what happens behind the scenes uh, of sort of this adventure culture, which is, you know, you you read up as much as you can, and there's only so much that you can read up, but by doing that, you become a part of the scene that you're stepping into in a way that you don't need an invitation. You don't. Um, I think, you know, for the most part... Everyone who's going to Yosemite uh, and is there because they're psyched to climb, you know, at one point they were the person who, you know, didn't know how to climb and had to learn from somebody um, and uh, was struggling on the easy stuff and just trying to figure things out. And uh, so not that many people are going to turn their noses up at other people also wanting to learn and discover and find out new stuff. So I think... uh, you just got to go for you and not worry about being worthy or not. Like, just trying to figure out whether or not you can do something. Like, that's it. That's all there is to worthiness. I think um, I think we're getting to the end, and I'm just going to say this. There were a bunch of people who went uh, wakeboarding yesterday who had never gone before. And a lot of them said, this is, a, you know, this is an effort in futility. Because I get up there, I do this thing, and I fall over. And I just can't get past the first turn. And I just keep on giving up, and I keep on doing the walk. And, um, you know, I, I think about our friend who went with us and, and how, you know, he's been going every week for the past, what, seven years? To <laughs> like four. Okay. For the past four years to, to work on his, you know, skill to be able to do it. And I'm like, that's a level of determination I'm excited about. And so I'm hoping that, you know, that lesson is something I can learn and apply to this. Like, go and be okay failing. I can climb Pat and Jack. Like, there's some stuff over there, the 758s that I've climbed. I can climb. There's stuff in Yosemite that I can't climb. So um, why do you why do you persist in saying that? Like, oh, I don't know I if just, I'm I worthy. Just, I just feel really uncomfortable. I feel really uncomfortable in those situations because I don't want to. How can you get comfortable without going to those situations? I'm not like, saying you're not. I'm not. I'm not saying you're not right. I'm saying I need to get there. Damn right, you're not. Well, saying I, I'm I, right. you know, to add on to that, like <laughs> part of what it means to be a climber is becoming familiar with your own discomfort. If climbing is not a sport where you're ever going to feel 100% comfortable and that, you know, the success in climbing is ephemeral to the experience of climbing. It's very brief and it's not that often. But the best climbers in the world have the most fun in uncomfortable situations or what would mostly be an uncomfortable situation for, you know, the non-climber or whatever. When you get used to that, you can go anywhere, it doesn't matter how strong you climb or whatever, you'll just, you'll be fine. I'm at the tipping point with my project, where I'm about to feel that. Like, and I'm excited about it. Like, I'm, I'm going to go to tomorrow, I'm past the point of loathing it, and I'm in the point of, like, I'm just going to go in there and keep going on it until I get it. And I only have a week, because it'll be gone before I get back. All right, I think that there's a whole bunch, like, I held back, like, probably 17 to 18 different questions that I had throughout that because I was afraid that they were going to start like unruly tangents once Evan gave me the look 
Um, I'm going to try and convince you right now that I need to bring you back. Sure. Would you be interested in coming back oh, at some I point? Oh, I totally future? agree. I get the sense we've like gone like double the l- normal length. We've gone double the normal length. Sweet. I didn't get to ask you about any of the books that you labored yeah, in here. That's fine. And, and then, and then I definitely <laughs> feel like there's some some stories about um, some of the places you've been that I'd really like to hear about. Sure. Let's do it again. And that's with me draconically sticking to topic <laughs> for the second half of this thing. It's pretty good that we have like this type A sort of guy over no, here. No, he's great. He balances me out. Yeah, yeah. Like I we can't, we can't have a podcast like yeah. he's got to be the LeBron James fan when I'm the Steph Curry fan in the room. I have no idea what that means, but okay. you don't need to know. Just right. Don't listen to the last podcast. Right. Okay. What's the What's the prize going to be for listening to the end of this one? Oh, uh, there's no prize. Yeah, Let's get, just give it up and end the podcast. It's, it's, its own prize. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, you've made it. <laughs> there will be more. There will be more podcasts. <laughs> All right. Uh, I hopped on the scale for the first time in weeks, and I'm still 220. All right. You in the math? What are you doing over there? Oh, I didn't know I was you're, supposed to just do it. You're, you're, you're killing dead air here. Like The, the South Beta Podcast. Two, uh, 400 pounds. <laughs> Two 200-pound guys worth of rock climbing power. Woo! All right. Have a great one, guys.